Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I should have stayed home and played with myself. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't know. Play chess. Screw. Well, let's play chess. The Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson. Quarterback, Florida. Richardson going to take off and run. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. The first career touchdown. Here's Halliburton into the front court. Mishandled it, but gets a shot. Hits it. Hits it. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, what's going on, everybody? I'm Brian Noe in for JMV. Lots to discuss. Indianapolis center stage this weekend for NBA All-Star Weekend. I want to start there. I'll get to Purdue playing slowly a little bit later. IU stinks. I think everybody in the state of Indiana collegiately just stinks right now. <laughs> right now. I'll get to them in a bit. But um, Indianapolis center stage, I think that's just awesome. I was streaming the all-star game last night. Long story, but you have to kind of beam it to the TV. And immediately when you're signing into TNT and all that stuff, it's just a still shot of the circle. And it just looks cool. And immediately I'm like, that's Indianapolis. You know, I know that it's all in Indianapolis, but just that, the scenics during the game, during the weekend, showing Gainbridge from a bird's eye view, showing... Scenes from Indianapolis. It's awesome that Indy gets that moment on center stage under the spotlight. I love that type of stuff. The game, not the greatest. The weekend, okay. There were some highs. There were some lows. There were some in-between and moments. I think the thing that blew me away more than anything, it was Babyface. Babyface singing the national anthem. I looked it up. I can't believe this. The guy turned 65 in April. He's 64 years old right now. And he did a marvelous job with the National Anthem. He still looks... I, he could pass for a guy in his 40s. I swear he could. guy's about to turn 65. It's insane. And for the musicians out there, it's also insane. He sort of does the Hendrix to the next level. Meaning, he plays a guitar lefty. Um, and you know how Hendrix flipped a, a right, uh, right-handed right guitar around, but the strings were, you know, top to bottom like normal. Babyface doesn't do that. He goes lefty, and the strings are like bottom to top. It blew my mind. <laughs> so, like, the highest string is on the top. Normally, it's on the bottom. And he's playing chords differently. I'm like, holy cow, Babyface got his whole different thing going on there. That was wild, but about to turn 65 years old 
in April, passing for a guy in his mid-40s. Hats off to Babyface. I don't know if it's Guy Fieri or a different... I've always said Fieri. I'm not sure if that's correct or not. But this, the pictures of him at All-Star Saturday with the cigar in his mouth the whole time... <laughs> Goodness, I think we had more shots of Guy Fieri with the cigar in his mouth than Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl. It was insane what was going on with Guy. Um, I thought the three-point shootout was a lot of fun, as it typically is. The Steph versus Sabrina thing was a major hit. Dunk contest, shrug of the shoulders. Again, same old, same old. We need some star power in there. And the game itself... I mean, good Lord, it's just gotten to a point where anybody who's trying to prop this up is just nice to a fault. It sucks. It's not entertaining. I'm not expecting playoff defense, even regular season defense. But to see what's going on, it's just. Oh, man. And I didn't even bet the under. I sound like a guy who betted the under. Can you imagine someone? (laughs) There were, believe it or not, there were some big bets on the under of the All-Star game. Could you imagine watching that game? How could you not be yelling at your TV just like, play some defense, please? And it has devolved so much. I remember, and I had to go hot tub time machine on this. Where if you go back to, not as far back as I'm going to go, but you go back to the Michael Jordan era where there was footage during the last dance. You guys probably remember this. Where MJ is in the locker room and he's talking about Kobe Bryant. And he's talking about, I forget what he said exactly. It's like that little Laker boy or something. And he's just going to be shooting and shooting. That sort of thing. But they're literally talking about the game. And they played hard. <laughs> like they, they went out there and tried to win. There are shots. You guys have probably seen these photos of MJ and Kobe where someone else is shooting a free throw. And they're just catching their breath. They're leaning over. Right, And they're just sort of talking, but they're clearly competing. Some of those pictures come from all-star games. And I, I can understand how we're not going to get back to that. But this idea that it hasn't devolved greatly is just wrong. Like some of these games, I went back to, you might remember this also. I, I'm dating myself. I'm uh, 46 years old right now. I'm, I'm in a... I'm I'm what baby I'm in the age bracket of what babyface looks like, but I'm starting to look like a 64 year old. I believe I don't know. Maybe I'm blowing that out of proportion, but I can remember as a kid, and I don't remember the year, but it goes all the way back to the 1987 All Star Game. It was Rolando Blackman, and he had to make two free throws to send the game into overtime. And he makes these two free throws, and he's just like yelling at the rim as he lets the ball go. Confidence, baby. Confidence, baby. Like it mattered. And there was intensity. And that those two free throws tied the game at 140. Last night we saw 211 to 186. What are we doing? 
It's gotten so ridiculous. And yeah, some of the shot-making ability and just the overall athleticism, yeah, newsflash, they play in the NBA. Okay, these guys are kind of athletic. They can do some special things. I didn't need no defense in the All-Star game to come to that realization. You know, 211 to 186, there's a reason why Adam Silver, when he's presenting the All-Star trophy, and we'll get to that ball of wax over there, to Damian Lillard. And he's like, well, uh, the East, they scored more points than the West, I guess. You know, he's almost like he's going to turn to the guys and be like, thanks for that, guys. Good way to make me look great. Great job. No, really. Great effort. You really brought it tonight, you know. (laughs) It's about to do that. Look, it's just, it's turned into what it is. And this is an exclusive to the NBA, the Pro Bowl. I mean, you could play the same game with the Pro Bowl. There were games where there was legitimate hitting going on. I, I remember, gosh, was it Kevin Gogan? He was an offensive lineman for the Niners. I forget who he was fighting. It was like him and I'd have to look it up. But they got into it on the field. And then they're like fighting back. I don't know if it was in the locker room or the hallway. or <laughs> There was real intensity in the Pro Bowl. It was Neil Smith. They fought on the field and then it spilled over off the field. It was a whole thing. And the Pro Bowl, there wasn't nearly as much intensity these last couple of years, and they just said, the heck with it. This product is so bad, we're not doing it anymore. So it is an exclusive jest to the NBA. You could look at basketball versus football fundamentally, night and freaking day. I can understand a lot more easily. As an NFL player, you don't want to go out there, get hurt back in the day in Hawaii, and be rehabbing an injury for the next six to nine months. You know, I get why you wouldn't be going full tilt in the Pro Bowl, but the NBA All-Star game, you don't have as good of an excuse there. It's just where it is. I think it's a gradual thing, and I think Adam Silver shares some blame in this because he's been so lax on load management in actual games, actual NBA games that, you know, count and everything what do you think is going to happen if it's an exhibition game it's not a mystery as to why it's turned into what it's turned into it's just for anybody who remembers these nba all-star games having more intensity i'm not saying it's game seven of the nba finals but compared to last night yes night and day not even close to the lack of intensity you saw last night Look, man, some of it's fun. I like seeing Luca try to go razzle-dazzle and get blocked by the rim. Right? You get fun, goofy moments like that. Dame pulling from half court a couple of times and draining him. Uh, Luca trying to get a two-for-one and shooting from, I don't know where, like 65 away. Some of that stuff is fun because it's so goofy, but, man, you could only see so much Matador defense and be like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of checked out over here. I'm Brian Noen for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So uh, not exactly rolling out the red carpet for Damian Lillard. Named MVP. Booed afterward. Check this out. In this year's 2024 Kobe Bryant MVP trophy goes to Damian Lillard. Yeah! 
Ah, yeah, that's that Midwestern hospitality right there, you know? Indiana nice, that sort of thing. Channel our mid-Minnesota nice. No, no, no. If things don't go the way we want it, we could get New York ugly very quickly. And uh, some people upset that Tyrese Halliburton not named MVP. Look, Tyrese started off hot. Five for five in the first quarter. Logo three. He's feeling it, and he knocks it home. An early show for Tyrese Halliburton. Five for five from distance. Yeah. Yeah, started off pretty hot, and then also some more of the Matador defense. But again, another Tyrese Halliburton uh, little clip here. So let's get it out there. This is for 200. Halliburton hits. The East hits 200. Yep, they hit 200. That's how it sounded on ESPN Radio. That wasn't it. They got to... 211 over there on the east side. Look, I'll say this. If you are bent about Halliburton not winning MVP, you're a little too close to the sun, okay? It's my mom says this all the time. And it's a, a reminder, it's a nice way of telling me like, "Hey, maybe don't be a maniac quite to that level you know she'll always say will it matter in five years it's a great way to gauge things you know you can keep that in mind in many different aspects the person who cuts you off in traffic in the moment it's a big deal right five years from now are you gonna remember it i can't tell you how many times i've been livid before on the road and then years later i can't even remember the situation i'm like yeah i was mad what what happened? I, right? Will it matter in five years? That's the ultimate question for last night. For anybody booing Damian Lillard because he won MVP and Halliburton didn't, do you think it's going to even register on the Richter scale for you in terms of will it matter in five years? There's no chance it does. And I get it. I'll meet you halfway. You want the hometown guy to win the award? Fine. And it's not the worst thing ever that Damian Lillard gets booed. But if you woke up today, if it didn't take just like five minutes to get that out of your system and you moved on, we need to get you to a meeting right away. Because you're taking this stuff way too seriously. It's an all-star game that even the players don't take seriously. So if you woke up on a Monday morning and you're like, I don't know what they were thinking with Halliburton should have won. We got to we got to do something for you, James. I don't know what we can do if we've got some gift cards or <laughs> we've got like a, a free, um, you know, massage, the professional establishments just kind of loosen up the collar. I don't know what we can do to get these people to, to tone it down a little bit. But we need to do that. One thing that uh, was funny to me after the All-Star game. It's just this random post on X from Jay Vandy. One of my friends sent this to me, and it was talking about Damian Lillard. It's so true. The guy wrote, so Dame won the three-point contest and the All-Star game MVP, but come Thursday, we're going to be sweating 19.5 points and two and a half threes, shaking my head. For all the gamblers out there, it's so true. Damian Lillard is a star player, and... He'll have some very below-average nights with the Bucks. where if you're gambling on the over, might not hit for you, but that's Buck stuff. I know you guys don't care. Something else that happened yesterday, 
And I promise we'll get to all the college hoops and Michael Pittman Jr. A lot to get to. IU, Purdue, little Indiana State flavor, and uh, what's going to happen with Pittman Jr. and the tag and all that good stuff. But this caught national headlines. I don't know about you. I think it's always cool when something that happens locally catches the national limelight. I think that's awesome. It had to do with the three-point crossover. That was the event between Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu. Great event. Steph won 29-26. Lot of fun. Grand slam. Well, if you were watching live, Kenny Smith of TNT, who I love, who I think typically does a great job, he said, you know what? How about All-Star Saturday I go rogue and go guy not doing a good job? I don't know what his point was, but he was talking about Sabrina Ionescu, and in his opinion, she should have shot from the WNBA three-point line. This is how the whole conversation went on TNT between Kenny Smith and Reggie Miller. I think she should have shot from the women's line. She should have shot from the women's line. That would have been a fair contest. I still root for Sabrina. I still root for Sabrina. We all are rooting for Sabrina. She should have shot from the three-point line that the women shoot from. Why are you putting those boundaries on her? That's not a boundary. That's what the game is. She wanted to shoot. They have a smaller ball, don't they? She shot Smaller. She shot with the WNBA yeah, but she ball. Did. She just shot from the line. It, it, there's it, a women's team in golf and there's a men's team for a reason. No. She a shooter shoot. Is that what you said? Yeah, but they shoot from where they shoot from. No. Thank you. No, no, no. Sabrina, Good job, shot. Sabrina. No, but but don't let any man put boundaries on you like him. Uh, well, then give him a regular ball then. Don't let any man put boundaries on you. Give him a regular ball then. It's not fair. It's like I've listened to that a handful of times. And I've, I've yet to understand the point. <laughs> the point doesn't make any sense. And the timing of it makes even less sense. Because initially it sounds like, okay, hey, Sabrina, you don't have to go above and beyond. You can just shoot from your line and it's all good, right? Like maybe that was initially it. But then he talks about, well, the ball is smaller, She's shooting with a WNBA ball, and that's unfair. So it's a mixed message. It doesn't make any sense. And so if you look at the WNBA line, it's 20 feet, 6 inches. The NBA line is 23 feet, 9 inches. So for Sabrina Ionescu to shoot from the NBA line, that's over 3 feet compared to the WNBA. That, that's a big difference. So hats off to her for doing that. And it was just weird and clunky and, well, the ball is smaller, so it's unfair. I don't understand where he's coming from. And it didn't make any sense because Sabrina, she had a good total. She had 26 points. It's not like she had eight points and it was this horrific display. And Kenny said, I don't know why she was shooting from a line she's not accustomed to. That would make more sense, but she had a good total, so it makes no sense. And then on top of it, the timing of it. So Sabrina shoots great. Steph Curry shoots great. Steph wins by a whisker, 29 to 26. There's all this energy in the building. It's this feel-good moment. And that's 
when Kenny Smith uncorks this one of, she should have shot from the WNBA line. What's she thinking over here? That was right before Ernie Johnson is interviewing Sabrina and Steph and giving Steph the belt. And it was so weird. It was so strange. But that's what happened on Saturday night and the conversation between Kenny Smith and Reggie Miller. I still don't know what Kenny was going for. But I think it's uh, it's one of these things. You better be careful and articulate if you're making a point like that because we have to clearly understand what you are saying and what you're conveying. And I still don't know what he was going for. But the timing of it made even less sense. I just think not everything needs to be a debate. Not everything needs to be provocative. You know, I... Listen, if you've listened to me at all filling in here on the fan, you know I'm I'm cool with stirring the pot and having a, a point-counterpoint debate. Not everything needs to be like that. And the Steph versus Sabrina thing at All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis, that was the example of we don't have to go provocative slash debate mode on this. It was just a cool moment. It's, wow, what a great job by Sabrina. What a great job by Steph. That was an awesome event. Yay, applause all around. Feel good. Pats on the back. Instead, Kenny's like, yeah, shoot from the women's line. <laughs> and then while you're at it, shoot with the men's basketball. Huh? Well, that makes no sense at all. So weird, clunky, strange. Um, I'll dive into Michael Pittman Jr. a little bit more. So can be tagged here uh, starting tomorrow, right? That's the beginning of this. It's funny because the last time I filled in on the fan, I'll do this just as a, it's like, what were we talking about at the time? What was going on? And every now and then there's something that translates to today that can still be useful for the show today. And I went back in my notes, and what was interesting is that the Colts had just played the Falcons. So I filled in the last time here on December 26th, right? It's right after Christmas. So on Christmas Eve, that's when the Colts lost on the road to the Falcons, 29-10. to And that offense looked completely different with no Michael Pittman Jr. They scored 10 points. Minshew threw for... 201 yards. Think about that. They're playing from behind. They have to pass the ball. They're having a hard time passing the ball, (laughs) most notably because there's no Pittman Jr. out there. And so you think about that as it relates to the here and now. Franchise tags can be placed on players. And then also the negotiating that's going to take place in this offseason. What's it going to look like with the Colts? With Michael Pittman Jr., you think about the leverage that Pittman Jr. has. It is fascinating. He's going to get the franchise tag. I mean, there's no way you negotiate with Pittman Jr. and all these other teams. You, You can't do that. It'd be reckless and irresponsible to do that. But I can't wait to see what Pittman Jr. gets. What is he going to sign for? Because... You think about how this compares to Jonathan Taylor and greatly differs from Jonathan Taylor. 
So JT last year, he was in a similar position in terms of he was in line for a long-term extension. What's different is the obvious. Michael Pittman Jr. has this thing called uh, leverage, where the NBA, the NFL, in today's NFL, they pay wide receivers. They do not pay running backs. That's just where the market is. So you think about the market for wide receivers in general. What happened when the Colts didn't have Pittman Jr. last year? Getting Anthony Richardson back healthy this season, you have to have Pittman Jr. You know who realizes that the most? Pittman Jr.'s agent and Pittman Jr. So I can't wait to find out what he signs for with the Colts. And if they can get a long-term agreement this offseason, he's going to be a Colt in 2024. That I can guarantee you. It would be beyond reckless to not have that guy in a Colts uniform when you get Anthony Richardson back. So he'll be a Colt. The question is, will it be with a long-term extension or will it be playing under the franchise tag? But that's the way. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds this offseason. Uh, feel free to hit me up. More than welcome. Um, love to interact with you guys. So uh, hit us up here on the fan. Uh, we got some good stuff ahead of us. Um, I want to get to another thing that stood out from uh, December 26th, the last time I filled in. That's for a little bit later. We'll get to that next hour. But coming up next, I want to turn my attention to uh, college hoops. I, I would like to make a plea an impassioned plea for a certain team that has accomplished a whole lot to make one major tweak. We'll get into that right around the corner. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. I am the cream, yeah. The cream of the crop. And there is no one that does it better. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for JMV. Here on The Fan. Man, just got a tweet from Jamie. He wrote, You have to tell them you're almost road rage fight. Ah, man, I don't I don't know if the statutes of limitation is in effect over here. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you one story. I could sprinkle these in, unfortunately, throughout the show. Which <laughs> I've, I've seen the light on all of this stuff, by the way. And I, I guess I have to tell you two quick stories, okay? The one that happened in Indianapolis and the one where I finally saw the light where I'm like, you you should not be doing this. You don't know what the other person is capable of or working with, or you don't know anything. So just just keep it moving, man. Um, so I was in Indianapolis. I lived there. So I lived on Allisonville. I went to Ball State, and so years after college, I was back in Indianapolis. And it was my fault, but it was an honest mistake. So I was going over a bridge maybe back to my apartment or wherever. And the road, there was road construction going on. So 
I'm going over the bridge. I'm going down the slope. And I just passed someone in front of me. And then all of a sudden, it's just merging down to one lane. Traffic is stopped. And I had to just slam on my brakes. So I get it from the other dude's point of view where it just seemed like I was a total jerk. I just cut him off, slam on my brakes. And so I'm like, oh, shoot. I, I didn't know there was construction going on. I didn't know cars were stopped. I, it was really an honest mistake. But I slam on my brakes, and I look in my mirror, and I see this guy getting out. And I don't know about you guys, but I, no one's just going to walk up on me. And so I got out and I'm just like, just yelling, cursing, just like, <laughs> I don't know what I was even saying. It was a combination of one, bring it on or two, go right back where you were. You know, you're not just going to walk up on me. And then he eventually just went back to his truck and that was that. It was no big deal. But it's a weird situation where sometimes if you play it cool, that is the worst thing you could do. But if you act like a maniac, sometimes that's to your benefit. That was one of the stranger stories where I saw the light. This is a true story. This is in New York. I was living there at the time. I was on the interstate driving either to Indiana from Indiana back in New York. And I don't know, this guy was just weird on the road and uh, somehow it ticked me off to the point where like we got out of our cars and I, I walked up to this guy. We had words, Nothing happened, and I, w I was walking back to my car. I turn around, and this guy's walking toward me, and he acted like he was getting a gun out of the back of his, like, jeans or his shorts or whatever. And he's just walking up on me with both hands behind his back. And he's walking up on me. He got close enough. I just kind of grabbed him just in case he had something, and he didn't. He didn't have anything. There was no fight. There was nothing. And, and that was it. But that taught me a very valuable lesson. And for anybody out there, uh, you shouldn't let it get to that level because there are some people that aren't just pretending that they have guns or whatever. Um, so, yeah, the, the person who cuts you off and it seems like a big deal at the time, probably not <laughs> a big deal five years later. And so, yeah, I think th that's the end of my getting out of my car days, but... Yeah, man. Better just to keep moving on. As far as college hoops goes, I want to make a plea for someone who knows way more basketball. He's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. I want to make that perfectly clear because Matt Painter does a very, very good job. But watching Purdue play far too many times, they play so slowly. Oh, my gosh. I just, I understand this, okay? For any Purdue fans out there, I understand they have Zach Eady. They're not going to be running the old Phoenix Suns seven seconds or less offense, you know? I get it. I understand that they're not just going to be running and gunning because that negates their biggest weapon, which is Zach Eady. Fine. I just think there are times where they can get some easy buckets in transition. You know, sprint down the floor. Maybe there's an easy opportunity. Sprint down the floor. If the easy opportunity isn't there, sometimes just that quicker movement. You get a guy open. You get an easier shot. 
I just would prefer Purdue to do that more often. They play so slow, so often. You ever see the movie Ali? Will Smith did a great job playing Muhammad Ali. And before Ali in the movie was fighting George Foreman, he called Foreman the mummy. And he's like, you know, George Foreman's so slow. He's like, here comes the left and here comes the right. And I, I just think of Purdue that way. I don't want to make it sound like they never get any transition buckets ever. They do. But it's occasionally. And way too often they are content just, hey, let's walk the ball up. Let's get into our half-court offense. Let's just go from there. Even the end of the game, if you're watching it against Ohio State yesterday, they're down by two points. There's not that much time left. They tried to get a steal, which is fine. They wasted way too much time fouling. It's like Ohio State was shooting one-and-ones. If you don't get the steal immediately, foul. Extend the game. I'm just... I had no money on the game. I have no vested interest in the game. I'm just watching as a basketball fan. And I'm like, why are they going so slow on offense? They're so slow to foul. Just speed it up, man. It's like they're dial-up far too often. And I don't want to make it sound like they stink, that they're one of the best teams in college basketball. The preview um, seeding show on Saturday, right? Like, you've got Purdue as the number one overall seed right now. As it stands, they might end up being the number one seed in less than three weeks when it's Selection Sunday. So they've had a fine season. It's just when they have so much talent, and they have one of the best records in the country. They're currently, you know, a number one seed in the tournament. If they, you know, came out with the bracket on Saturday, they would have been in the number one overall seed. It's not doom and gloom. There's a lot in their favor. I don't want to make it sound like it's fairly Dickinson 2.0 this season. <laughs> and they've, they're barely sneaking in as a bubble team. They're one of the better teams in college basketball. But it's so interesting to me. Regardless of the sport, you could have a team that's one of the best, but they have this deficiency or this tweak, this adjustment that they need to make that they just don't make. And I thought yesterday was a good example of that. It's not the only one. And I get I get also, too, where styles make fights. When they played Wisconsin, I thought it was the same type of game. It's just a slow half-court game. Okay, let's get it to Braden Smith. They're king on Edie. He's got some open shots. Okay, that's our offense. Repeat, 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 repeat. Hardly anything easy in transition. Nothing quick. Right? It's the same thing. And I understand where, well, yeah, they're playing Wisconsin. That's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, to a degree. I understand who you're playing matters. But I also want you to dictate terms. If you're one of the better teams in all of college basketball, it's not good enough to say, well, we were playing insert the blank here, therefore they kind of dictated how that went. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's not good enough. I, I understand if, if you play a team that shoots lights out from three, I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire like, hey, you didn't, 
keep them to a lower percentage shooting the three. Okay, that's where they excel. Fine. If you're playing a team that just plays great transition defense, okay, all right, like I'll take that into account. But I'm not going to let you off the hook completely. Even if a team lights it up from three, I want you to guard the three. I want you to make life hard. (laughs) If they're great in transition defense, I still want you to push. I still want you to find some easy buckets in transition and not go old school internet dial-up speed, you know? So it's not good enough to just say, well, you know, they're playing Wisconsin or "Ah, Ohio State still has great athletes. They do, but goodness, far too many times you're assisting them by not running. It's not just them playing great transition defense. It's you're not pushing it. I would love to see that change. And I can't wait to see him in the tournament. I think, you know, the last five minutes or so, it seems like doom and gloom for Purdue. I think they're going to be a really, really tough out. I think that they're a better team. Some of their young guys have improved quite a bit, especially Braden Smith. They've got a little bit more athleticism. Zach Eady is so difficult to deal with. And then also, it's a little bit like Virginia, when they lost to a 16 seed and the next year won the whole thing, I think Purdue is going to be a bear when the tournament rolls around, especially early on. If there's ever a team to not take any opponent lightly early on, it's Purdue. So I think they're going to be one of the tougher outs in the tournament. I just don't like when they get so content playing half-court offense and not looking for easier buckets in transition. That was the first loss Purdue had when their opponent scored less than 80 points. They were 20-0 and until yesterday. Um, and so, like, that's the thing. If the other team is scoring a bunch of points and you're taking the ball out of, you know, your hoop and it, that slows down the transition opportunities, yeah, well... That was the first time that Purdue lost when holding an opponent under 80 points. It's not like Ohio State was scoring at will. There are plenty of misses, plenty of defensive rebounds for Purdue. Just get out and transition, try to find something easier. just didn't happen enough to what I would like to see. And uh, I just think you got to speed it up at times, man. Speed it up, right? Like, what's wrong with moving it down the court? Trying to find something easy. If it's not there, settle into your half-court set. Work through Edie. (laughs) I don't think you should be heading down the floor thinking, slow it down, everything goes through Edie. I think you should be thinking, let's try to find something easy. And if not, then let's work in the big man. Uh, That makes way more sense to me. But again, when you hear some Yahoo like me on the radio talking, it's almost like, oh, so you know more than Painter? No. I know a fraction of basketball compared to Matt Painter. But even the guy from the cheap seats, like me, can sometimes see something that someone who knows way more just misses or doesn't emphasize as much. You know? I I would be a madman on the sideline. I would sound like one of those NFL special teams coaches. You know, they show them on the sideline, they're just going crazy. That's how I would be with Purdue. I'd be like, push it! Run! Push it! That, that would be me on the sidelines. Uh, because it's just it's too slow for my, my taste over there. But And uh, Ohio State, they got a, a bump 
from firing their head coach, huh? So Chris Holtman got kicked to the curb after seven years with the Buckeyes, and Jake Diebler takes over, and he wins his head coaching debut as the interim head coach. And so that's another thing where uh, the interim head coach making his debut, that that's that's who won? Like, it's not great. That's not great. It's the second time it's happened. What a stat here. It's the second time it's happened since 1948 where a coach making his debut beat a top two team. I know it's one of those stats that sounds like, how did you even come up with that? It doesn't even sound like a thing. It's a thing. In the AP poll era, we're going back to 1948-49, that season. It's happened twice where a guy making his head coaching debut won against a top two team. So I don't want to hear, well, I mean, they were really inspired. and It's still Ohio State, and they have just been awful this season so there's nothing wrong with saying we got to be better that's it we we just got to be better and I thought that's the case for Purdue yesterday that's really it okay feel free to check in phones always welcome for you Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter slash X however you get down saying it I don't even know at this point at the no show is where you can find me okay plenty to get to um Gosh, I don't even know where I want to go next. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about the guest, Evan Sidery. He'll be on at 4 o'clock. He covers the NBA for Forbes Sports. We'll talk some Pacers, some All-Star Weekend, all that good stuff. Joel Erickson, we'll talk some Colts. He'll join me at 5 o'clock. So we'll get to that. Oh, let me throw this at you next. It's easily the biggest lie told in Indianapolis over the weekend sensational story i'm brian though in for jmv it's 93.5 and 107.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you the ride with jmv he's my best friend he's my pal He's my homeboy, my rotten soldier. He's my sweet cheese, my good time boy. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for JMV. So the biggest lie told in Indianapolis, it's not just All-Star Weekend. I, I swear the common Joe didn't tell a greater lie than this guy. I, uh, I'm, I feel secure saying that. <laughs> there wasn't a bigger lie where it was, you know... No, it's your baby or something like that. Not as big of a lie as this one, really. It's uh, it's LeBron James. This is sensational. So in Indianapolis during All-Star Weekend, he's talking to, to EJ and the TNT crew. And, well, let, let Ernie Johnson set this up and let LeBron bring it home. Here you go story that got everybody's attention last week between the uh, Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. Golden State trying to acquire LeBron James. And how far did this go and how and how much did you entertain that thought? Um, it didn't go far at all. You know, I, I actually heard about it when everybody else heard about it. You know, obviously, you know, Charles been in the league, Kenny been in the league, Shaq been in the league. And there's, sometimes there's conversations happen behind closed doors that you don't even know about. And until I guess if it's real or not, then they'll bring it to you. But it, it never even got to me. So you know, I heard it when the reports dropped as well. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm supposed to believe that? Come on. Now, LeBron doesn't have the most decorated past of being an epic truth teller, if you will, you know? It's a running gag of how many lies LeBron has told over the years. Just obvious lies. We could add this to the greatest hits collection here. LeBron, really? Do you think for a second, let's just play this out. Let's play a little game of in order for this to be true. It's a good game to play whenever anyone says anything. And you're a little skeptical of like, is that really the case? Well, let's play a game of in order for this to be true. In order for this to be true, Golden State would have had to reach out to LeBron's agent and said, hey, we'd like to trade for LeBron. And LeBron's agent would have had to basically shrug it off and not tell LeBron. (laughs) Do you think... Do you think that's what happened? There's no chance that happened. This isn't the Charlotte Hornets or some random team that's like, hey, we want to trade for LeBron, and the agent just says, yeah, that's they're never going to go anywhere. No. But the Golden State Warriors, when LeBron has talked openly in the past about how cool it would be to join forces with Steph Curry, remember, he said that before. And the Golden State Warriors are interested in trading for LeBron and the agent doesn't tell LeBron? Are you kidding me? This isn't even close to being believable. And he said it with a straight face. I think it's just one of those where LeBron doesn't want to get into it. It's easier to say, oh, I didn't even know about it. And then the conversation really doesn't go anywhere. There's not a follow-up question. Where if he says, yeah, I knew about it, there are 50 follow-up questions, and maybe he doesn't want to get into it. I think it's just a bold-faced lie for most likely avoiding the whole discussion to begin with, but very strange. Very strange. LeBron is an interesting dude, man. He is. Where I've always marveled at, for as much attention as LeBron gets... He craves that much more. But then there are situations like this with the Warriors where he could get a lot more attention, but nope, that's not the kind of attention I want. So I'll just say they I didn't even know about it, and that's it. <laughs> He's an interesting cat. He really is, but make no mistake, that is a bold-faced lie told in the great city of Indianapolis during All-Star Weekend where I I didn't even know about that trade and like wasn't it where Draymond Green he said oh yeah I would sign off on that trade so Draymond knew about it but LeBron somehow didn't that that doesn't make any sense at all so no I would uh, I would vote uh, no I don't believe any of that from LeBron over the weekend here Um, something else that stood out where, um, so the last time I was filling in, again, I went back to this, where uh, it was December 26th. This is so insane, because we're just a little more than one week removed from the Super Bowl. This is wild to me. This is when, the, the day before, the Chiefs lost to the Raiders. You might remember this. Christmas Day, 
Chiefs lose. They allowed a couple of defensive touchdowns in seven seconds. They had two turnovers, and the Raiders scored touchdowns. And the Chiefs lost the game. The Chiefs were nine and six at the time, right? This was after Week 16. They were nine and six at the time, and the stat that blows me away: the Raiders' quarterback that day, Aiden O'Connell, he didn't complete a pass. After the first quarter, Aiden O'Connell that day, Purdue product, shout out, nine for 21 for 62 yards. That's it. That's the stat line. <laughs> nine for 21 for 62 yards. No completions after the first quarter. Raiders somehow beat the Chiefs 20 to 14. Yeah, I bring this up because it blows my mind even more that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They were a 9-6 and six football team that lost to the Raiders in a quarterback who didn't complete a pass after the first quarter. And so that was the last game the Chiefs lost last season. How crazy is that? They win their final two games of the regular season. They win every playoff game. And here they are, back-to-back champs. What a ride. <laughs> what a wild ride, but... I just skimmed. I was just curious. I'm like, what was going on last time I filled in here on the fan? I filled in the day after the Chiefs lost on lost on Christmas Day to the Raiders. And they go on this magic carpet ride and they win it all. The other thing that was interesting about that is at that time, I really thought this. I thought that the 23 season, it was shaping up to be a spread the wealth type season. Meaning... It looked like we were going to get a first-time Super Bowl-winning quarterback. It looked like it wasn't going to be Mahomes. Probably wasn't going to be Stafford. Most likely wasn't going to be Flacco. And then the other guys weren't even in the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers was hurt. Russell Wilson was benched. And the Broncos weren't in the playoffs. So unless it was either Mahomes, Stafford, or Flacco, we were going to get a first-time Super Bowl quarterback. We're going to get a first-time QB champion, right? And so I was thinking, would it benefit the NFL more if it's Lamar Jackson, going to be a two-time MVP? He's one of the, the great playmakers in the game, highlight real guy. Would it be him or would it be Dak Prescott? Cowboys, America's team, all that. I thought that was a legitimate debate. And look how it turned out. It's just Mahomes again. It's <laughs> just Mahomes for a third time. No first-time quarterback, Super Bowl champ. It's just the Chiefs getting it done again. That is crazy. That's the one thing I love about the NFL so much, and sports in general. It's the unforeseen stuff. It's the stuff that just sounds stupid in the moment that actually becomes true. I know right now we're far removed from that Raiders game where you look at the Super Bowl and it's like, hey, Mahomes, I mean, goodness, he's the best in the business. Not a shock that he got it done with those drives at the end of regulation and in overtime and yada, yada, yada. You just knew when they got the ball down three, they were going to score. And all those conversations. No one was saying anything positive about the Chiefs when they fell to nine and, nine and six after losing to the Raiders on Christmas Day. If you said, you know what, call me crazy, but uh, Chiefs are going to win out. They're going to win a Super Bowl. Just watch. People would have looked at you like you had three heads. 
and never would have believed it. It's what happened. It's crazy. Okay, coming up right around the corner, Evan Sidery covers the NBA for Forbes Sports. We'll get to All-Star Weekend, uh, pick his brain about the Pacers, second half of the NBA season, all that good stuff. I'm Brian Noen for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Now you listen here. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Now go away. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for JMV here on The Fan. Look at James. Little hanger 18. Huh? What do you think, James? Do you think uh, Evan Sidery is a metal metalhead over here? You think? I, I know ho- you're hopeful he is. I, I, say, I certainly hope he is. I, I'm hopeful he is as well. Evan Sidery joins us here on The Fan. Covers the NBA for Forbes Sports. Okay, on a, sta- a scale from 1 to 10, Evan. 10 being... I'm in the mosh pit throwing elbows. You know, I'm such a metal fan. Where are you on the metal scale? Unfortunately, guys, I would say I'm probably between a one or a two. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you're maybe in between a one or a two. That is spectacular. I love that. Not the biggest fan. So what's the go-to for you, Evan? Um, I'd say I'm more of a classic rock kind of guy or a classic hip-hop kind of guy, to be honest. Okay, classic rock, classic hip hop. What are some of the uh, the bands, the artists that you get down with? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm really all over the board here. So like 80s, uh, 90s, even like the newer stuff like Drake, Kendrick Lamar. I'm really all over the board there, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so are we talking like, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking like Leonard Skinnerd. Uh, is it like uh, the Eagles? What is it classic rock for you? I'm curious. Yeah, Leonard Skinner, I would definitely say Queen is up there, too. Uh, really, whatever my dad was playing me growing up uh, probably is, is in my portfolio there. So Queen, Leonard Skinner, uh, maybe a little bit of Kiss mixed in there as well. Okay. Yeah, I like it. I like what you're working with. Let's, let's just work in a little bit of Slayer from time to time. And I, I think the portfolio is complete, at least in my estimation, Evan. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally open to it. If you, next time I come on here, I'll make sure uh, to get that get that in the mix for you. I love the idea of, you know, Brian, I took your advice. I listened to Rain in Blood. I got to tell you, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you were there for the All-Star game. Were you there for All-Star Saturday as well, Evan? I was, yeah. It was definitely a different atmosphere, uh, especially when you have it in a football stadium compared to a Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Fun atmosphere for sure. The court was different. But I would definitely say, I mean, we'll get into it, I imagine, but I would definitely say All-Star Saturday Night needs a little bit of a face-up. Same with the All-Star game. I, I, I love the energy that the local fans brought there, but I think the NBA event itself kind of needs a little bit of a face-up here. What would you suggest? I would say get rid of the dunk contest. That's the first thing. I, wow. I, know, it's, I, I know it was a fun event with Mac McClung, but I feel like the energy in the building wasn't great for that and i think kind of to be honest i think the general nba fan has seen almost every single dunk possible out there i know when jacob toppin did that crazy dunk Obi toppin's brother only got a 46 and a half score there there wasn't really much energy there mac mcclung same thing a couple dunks here and there got the energy up a little bit lucasola stadium but i feel like a lot of general nba fans have seen exactly what the historic dunks are from vince carter back in 2000 from 
Fred Jones did it back in 2004. Michael Jordan, when he was in Indianapolis, doing the dunk contest way back when. I think we've seen almost every dunk in the book. I think it's a lot of fans not really getting up for it because these aren't superstar-type players like the Michael Jordans. I think we need to see like a Job Moran or a Zion Williamson, one of these high-flyer type of guys that are actually on a star level of the NBA players, and maybe that'll get players interested in getting back there and the general NBA fans there as well. But I would definitely say, at least in my opinion, the three-point contest with all the stars that were in that event and how lively it was during that period, I think kind of the three-point contest has overtaken the dunk contest as far as the uh, marquee of All-Star Weekend. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think the dunk contest, it's less what the dunk is and more so who's doing the dunking at this point. Because I hear you, we've seen so many different combinations of dunks. It's hard to come up with something that's fresh and new and different. I think at this point, it's more so about star power and who's doing it in the buildup for the event. And you mentioned the energy in the building. There's not going to be buzz with Mac McClung and Jaime Jaquez, you know what I mean? Like, you've mm-hmm. got to get the stars in there, like Ja, Zion, some of those guys. Short of that, it's just going to be a shoulder shrug. That's what it's turned into. Yeah, it really has. And I, there was a report from The Athletic earlier today, I believe, I believe it was from Sam Amick of The Athletic, who had some reporting saying that players, like star level players, would be interested if they go like the in-season tournament route, which as far as like paying them more money to do it. So, and that's kind of where I think the NBA players are nowadays. We're not going to do it. We're not interested unless you give us a big bag of money to do so. And that's why I think it's kind of wrong with the event nowadays. Most of these star level players think of the All-Star Weekend as a vacation. They don't think of it as a, a marquee showcase event. They're just there to get their All-Star accolades. They're there to get their points in the All-Star game and kind of move on from there and take the extra few days off before they resume games on Thursday. I think to get this where it needs to go, I think Adam Silver needs to kind of get in the office with some of his executives and think, what can we do to get these star level players to get involved in these events and make it more interesting? I think that's kind of the first start of it is getting maybe some money involved, but these guys are multimillionaires. They have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank account. So it's a really interesting discussion and one that I really don't have an answer to there because it just, it feels like the dunk contest is kind of falling on the wayside a little bit, which is disappointing. Yeah, it really is. He's Evan Sidery from Forbes Sports joining us here on the fan. How about the game last night being in the building? What was that like for you? I know it was a lot of points and a lot of action in that game, but a lot of media members, including myself, were kind of just like, at what point do we kind of see some competitiveness in this event? I know it's more so it's like an exhibition, a showcase event, but to have 200-plus points scored by the Eastern Conference team, almost 200 points scored from the West, no defense being played, I, I don't know exactly where to go from there. I really like the Elam ending they did a couple of years ago. They had it for about a three- or four-year period without a target score in 2020, we saw the West and the East really have a couple possessions in the late, late in those games where it was a close game. We saw actually competitive basketball for the last five, six minutes of those events. But last night with the Elam ending not involved anymore, it was just uh, kind of just jogging across the court, kind of just getting your own showcase events in here on each possession. And I do wonder, the All-Star game too, I know it was a fun event. Indianapolis, they were at, the fans last night were fantastic, Brian. I mean, to have – the event there, Pacers fans would be so into it. And booing Damian Lillard when he won the MVP over Tyrese Halliburton was a little nice touch there. I think that was well-deserved from, from the Pacers fans. I think Tyrese Halliburton, to be honest, kind of got robbed from the MVP last night in his own building. But I think we had to kind of reform, reorganize this event a little bit to have some sort of incentives be involved, have some competitive competitiveness be involved a little bit, where you kind of got to get this thing going. And even Adam Silver mentioned last night, 
he did not seem enthused by that at the end of that game when he was announcing the winner of the Eastern Conference, the MVP. He just seemed kind of dejected by the result of it because he's, he's been wanting a more competitive event for years now, and it feels like he kind of hit rock bottom once again with that. So I really don't know how you can fix this event, whether it be incentivizing guys with money or whatever you guys do. But All-Star Sunday was fun. The energy was great. But the game on the court itself, I think, was kind of just like an exhibition, a jogging contest a little bit. Yeah, it's um, it gets me thinking because I agree with you. I think Adam Silver just sounded embarrassed when he was yeah. announcing Dame the MVP, where he's he's almost like apologizing, like "Sorry, I don't know what these guys were thinking over here with that performance." It's how he felt uh, coming across, and I get it. But I mean, do you think the in-season tournament? This is the first year of it. Do you think that has anything to do with even less of an effort during All-Star Weekend where it's like Doc said about his Bucks, we had some guys here, we had some guys in Cabo, right? That was the the game against the Grizzlies right before the All-Star break where that's what All-Star Weekend was from, uh, gosh, you name it, Anthony Edwards shooting threes with his left hand (laughs) in the skills competition to the game itself. It's like everybody was in Cabo mentally. Do you... Do you point at anything to explain why that is? Yeah, I think, like I mentioned, I think a lot of players view this, at least the high-level players, the top tier of these All-Stars, view this as a vacation. They view it more so as you're getting your your accolades, you're getting your advertisement money in there from corporate sponsors, you're there to sign autographs, you're there to get your pictures in, and you go on the court, you put up your points a little bit, and that's kind of it. I do wonder if we're kind of going the way of the NFL, where the Pro Bowl nowadays has kind of become so low-scale, where it's a flag football game, it kind of felt that way last night, in my opinion, where you see guys not really putting up much effort on either end of the court. Obviously, you get a lot of points in that event. But I do wonder if at this point, maybe you see the NBA kind of adopt an NFL style where they, they have guys that are alternating out or they drop out of the event where they don't really feel interested in playing that game. Maybe you let some alternates get in there a little bit and, and they can put, put up more of an effort. Or if you want to incentivize guys with money a little bit, maybe that's the way to go. But I don't think that's the way it should be in the NBA. Don't, you shouldn't have to incentivize guys financially when they already have so much money in their bank accounts to play even harder in the game. For, for those paying a lot of money to be in the building for that game last night, it was a fun event. But I do wonder if we're going to go sort of the NFL type of route here soon where you see guys dropping out. They're, they get their all-star accolades anyways. You let some younger, more hungry guys get into the game, put up more of a showcase. Because Tyrese Halliburton last night I think was one of the few guys that was actually trying his hardest in that game. Like He was putting up some highlight plays. He started off so hot in that game, 15 points in the first two minutes of that game. I think he was trying to prove a point last night. Maybe you have more of those Tyrese Halliburton type of players, these young, up-and-coming guys who want to make a bigger name for themselves. I think it might be the way to go here, in my opinion, where maybe the LeBron James, the Kawhi Leonard's of the world drop out. They get their all-star accolades anyways. And let these younger guys and younger generation take over a little bit. I think that might be the best way to go about it. Um, Two-parter, what was the court like being there and also what's the one moment that you put at the top of the list the whole all-star weekend in your opinion yeah the the court was cool i mean seeing it up close was really cool the way it was changing back and forth i think indianapolis obviously the first year they were doing it there uh it was a very cool event to see up close and personal like that i think the court at least for all-star weekend that's a cool way to go about it just to have fans interacted have Different features on the court. Jalen Brown and his dunk contest. When he had a dunk, he changed it to the Celtics court. I think yeah. that was a pretty cool moment. So I think stuff like that for All-Star Weekend is actually a really cool idea. But I would definitely say the best event, in my opinion, or at least the best moment for me personally, 
would probably go towards Benedict Master in that Rising Stars game when him and Jaden Ivey had that back and forth a little bit. That was one of the few moments, at least for me, in All-Star Weekend where you felt some real tension, some real beef between some two guys. I don't know if they personally like each other or not. It just seemed like <laughs> Benedict Master and Jaden Ivey were kind of going back and forth a little bit. We saw those guys. Obviously, Jaden Ivey went fifth in the draft, Benedict Master in sixth. I think Benedict Master still holds a little bit of a vengeance over Ivey for going ahead of him there. But that was some competitive basketball. And I also throw in the Tyrese Halliburton moment, too, where he started off the game last night, 15 points in 90 seconds. That was a Tyrese Halliburton showcase event all throughout the weekend. that kind of upped his stardom a little bit more than we already know here locally in Indianapolis. But I think Tyrese Halliburton really took the bull by the horn this weekend and kind of upped his stardom even more. Man, I love that you brought up Matherin and Ivy because if that's a regular season game and they're going at it like that, it might have escalated even more. It just felt like with Matherin, he put his face right in Ivy's face. If that's not, it's almost like Ivy's like, I would swing on this guy, but it's the Rising Stars game, so maybe this is not the time or place. But they, you're right. They were going at it. There did seem to be some bad blood there. Yeah, I think Benedict Matherin, at least knowing him over the last couple of years, he holds a huge chip on his shoulder, and he's motivated by even the smallest things. I think he's mentioned multiple times before where the five guys drafted in front of him, he's going to go really hard against those teams and try to prove a point that he should have been number one pick in the draft. He views himself as a star little player in the NBA already, and he's really done well against Detroit throughout his career so far. And him and Jaden Ivey, I don't know why, but they just don't like each other, it appears, on the surface. And that really showed Friday night. And I think it's a little fun rivalry that we're going to see between those two guys on the board. Okay, so looking at the second half of the season after the All-Star break, we'll start with the Pacers. Like, where they are in the standings right now, they're sixth. Of course, the Sixers with Embiid being banged up. Can you see the Pacers making up some ground and at least getting into the top five, maybe the top four when the regular season ends? Yeah, it's going to be tough sledding a little bit. I know the Pacers have an easier schedule, but they have to make up some ground to get at least home court advantage there in that top four seeds. So I would predict that they probably end up in the five or six range, which is totally okay. I think that sets up really well, at least if you're talking about from a national standpoint. It's very likely we might see Bucks versus Pacers in the first round. That is a lot of a lot of cinema behind it. We know the rivalry between Milwaukee and, and Indiana so far this year. There's bad blow between those two teams, and I'd probably project it's going to go that way, where we have the Bucks as a three seed and we see the Pacers as a six seed there. And the Pacers have the Bucks number all throughout this year. They won five out of six games against them. And I think the Pacers are really hoping that they get Milwaukee in the first round. I think Milwaukee on the other side of the table is hoping they do not get the Pacers because they have not seen Pascal Siakam yet in that matchup. And I think Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton, the more chemistry they get together on the court, we haven't seen Halliburton off his minutes restriction just yet with Pascal Siakam. I imagine that will change starting on Thursday against Detroit. If those two guys can get going offensively, if they can get that chemistry going, this could be a team that a lot, a, a lot of Eastern Conference contenders are not going to want to see in the first round and beyond. I think this Pacers team could really make some noise here. So I'll say they get five or six seed. I think for Indiana personally, they probably would love to see Milwaukee in that first round. I think the Bucks, on the other hand, are hoping that doesn't happen. He's Evan Sidery from Forbes Sports. You get my mind working here where the Pacers are in that – that area where they might face the Cavs, the Bucks, maybe the Knicks in the playoffs. So of those three teams, Cavs, Bucks, Knicks, who would the Pacers most want to see? Who would they least like to see? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of general NBA fans might say you want to avoid the Austin and Cooper and this Bucks team, but 
the way they played since Doc Rivers has joined as head coach, they're three and seven in their first ten games with Doc Rivers. I think they made a mistake letting go of Adrian Griffin. I know that he didn't really connect with those players there, but Doc Rivers has not really been a great coach in the NBA, and in my personal opinion, he's kind of been helped out a lot by the star players he's helped coach over the years: Paul Pierce and Kevin Durant in Boston, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in Los Angeles, and so forth with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. I think it hasn't gone well because I don't think Doc Rivers personally is that good of a coach. And I think in a playoff series, you might see Rick Carlo kind of coach circles around him a little bit. So I really love the, the matchup of a very motivated Pacers team against their new rival, really newfound rival in the Milwaukee Bucks. So I would definitely say between those three teams, I would lean more towards the Bucks pretty heavily in that instance. And I think avoiding a team like Cleveland, who's really caught fire lately. I know they're a division rival as well, but they, they won 15 of the last 17 games entering the All-Star break. Davin Mitchell's really found a groove. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, that's a dynamic defensive front court there. But I think it did Miles Turner and Pascal Siakam some problems in the offensive end. So between those three teams, I would definitely say the Bucks are the team I want the most for the Pacers, and I'd probably say the least amount. I would say the Cavaliers, just simply based off their defense. I think they're going to really get the Pacers some trouble if they play in the first round. Man, it's crazy. I'm still trying to figure out what the Bucks are doing, where Adrian Griffin, he doesn't last an entire season, he gets canned. They bring in Doc Rivers. I he- hear you. They're three and seven with Doc. Meanwhile, they fired Budenholzer, who won seventy percent of his games, won a title, got kicked to the curb because Giannis misses two and a half games in a first round upset against Miami. They'd be better off with Bud right now instead of what they've got going on. It's crazy what's going on over there. Yeah, Milwaukee's really been in turmoil, I, this, which is really surprising. Because I thought when they traded for Damian Lillard, I thought that was a fantastic home run deal. They didn't give up much in that trade. I know Drew Holiday is a great defensive player, but he's really past his prime as far as offense goes. But missing a player like Drew Holiday, you're seeing Brooke Lopez as well in his mid-30s, taking a big step back this year as far as performance goes on the defensive end. There's not a lot of depth in Milwaukee either, which is kind of the scary part for the Bucks, where they have Lillard, they have Giannis, but outside of that, what really do they have? except Chris Middleton, who's kind of really shown his age a little bit too lately over the last couple of months. They're a team to me where I'd watch up the next couple of years and see what they're doing. But with Milwaukee, lack of depth, I think they got a coaching downgrade from Mike Budenholzer to Docker. is pretty pretty significant, in my opinion. And you have the lack of depth on the board there. And you don't have a lot, a lot of wiggle room as far as finances go. You have Giannis and Damian Lillard on supermax contracts, which kind of restricts you pretty much a lot moving forward here. So the Bucks are going to be a team to watch out for in the next couple of years, in my opinion, where they might be a team that blows it up down the road, even though they just trade all these chips for Damian Lillard. So I think the Pacers are a team where if they're hoping for one series and one team they want to see, whether it's a six or a five seed, I think Milwaukee, I think they're a team where you could really see the Pacers go out there and win in five or six games and really kind of take it to them a little bit. I think they're the team right for the taking if you're Indiana. But last one for you. It's obvious what the Bucks aren't doing defensively. But, man, you can say the same thing about the Pacers. When the playoffs roll around, do you trust that they can do enough? We're not expecting anything close to lockdown defense, but are they capable of doing enough defensively to give them a chance to win a first-round series? Personally, Brian, I think they have. They've improved just a little bit. And this is what I've been talking about with JMV throughout the season, where they have such an elite historical offense where they're already in the top five, really top one in a lot of categories, where you have Tyrese Halbert running the show, you have Pascal Siakam, an all-NBA level player thrown in the mix now, and all this good young talent. If you're at least a top 20 defense, which the Pacers have kind of been since Siakam's been on board, I think they're 21st or 22nd in a lot of metrics there, you're going to have a fighting chance in a lot of series, as long as your offense really stays afloat and keeps it at an elite level 
throughout those series in the postseason. And I trust Tyree Talbert to keep that going for him. So uh, I think they've really taken the right steps here. I think Miles Turner has done well next to Pascal Siakam, but I'm really intrigued to see Pascal Siakam a lot as a small ball five. And we're seeing more and more of that throughout the last couple of weeks heading into the All-Star break. Siakam's really thriving in that small ball five role. So if you see teams try to run the pace off the floor a little bit, and let's say they try to play really small and take Miles Turner out of the game, I think Pascal Siakam could really do well with Tyree Talbert as a small ball five, and you have a lot of defense around those guys. So I'm really intrigued by the lineup potential and lineup combinations that the Pacers put together here a little bit. I think Siakam at the five might be something we see more and more of as we go closer to the playoffs. Well, hey, Evan, good hanging with you, man. Thanks for sp- spending some time here, and uh, hope you have a great day, and hope that um, – I hope uh, the rest of the week is more exciting than the game was last night while you were in attendance. How about that? Oh, I appreciate it, Brian. Anytime, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. There he is. Evan Sidery covers the NBA for Forbes Sports, joining us here on The Fan. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. It gets me thinking when Evan brought that up about the Rising Stars game where Ben Matherin and Jaden Ivey are just going at each other. And Matherin he's playing the game with intensity. You know, I I just wish we could see a little bit more of that in the all-star game where I I was trying to think of the right comparison as far as the NBA all-star game, where what it once was and what it is right now, where if you're trying to compare it to food, I don't want to make the all-star game sound like it was just top shelf, five-star meal, but it was pretty good. Like, let's go... I don't know what mid-tier um, food place you like. You know, mid-tier place, you can get a good meal at like Chili's or something like that. That's, that's kind of what the NBA All-Star game used to be in terms of effort, intensity. Uh, I mentioned the Rolando Blackman a situation in the 87 All-Star game where he had to make two free throws to send the game into overtime, and he's just yelling, confidence, baby, confidence. Like there was actual intensity. I mean, not like Game 7 of the NBA Finals, but way more than now. So I would say the NBA All-Star Game, food quality-wise, used to be like a Chili's. And now it's just stale ramen noodles, you know? And so I, I want to not solely look at it for what it once was. You do have to recalibrate your expectations to some degree. I truly believe that. But if you're sitting there with your stale ramen noodles, how do you not think about some baby back ribs? You know what I mean? Like, How does it not cross your mind to some degree of it being noticeably better? Uh, I just, I wish the effort would be a bit better and Matherin in the Rising Stars uh, game. I would like to see a little bit more of that in the All-Star game. I'll, I'll shift gears to IU hoops. Weird transition, but hey, it's how I roll from time to time, right? The connection I would make between the NBA All-Star game and the IU Hoosiers, I it's bad when anybody questions your effort. Okay, now we know that the NBA All-Star Game, that's an exhibition, and there is no effort, none. I'm not accusing IU of having the same lack of effort. That's not what I'm saying. But whenever anyone says, I'm not quite going to say this team has quit, but they're going through the motions for sure. That's enough for me. 
That should never, ever, ever happen. And IU losing again to Northwestern. Is that four straight losses to Northwestern? Goodness, we got to go back to the 30s? <laughs> Last time that's happened? Like, what are we doing over here? I, I can understand, hey, listen, there are some inconsistencies. Some of these guys off the bench the last month, they haven't been bringing it. They're either good one game and they do nothing the next game. There have been some injuries. It's, obviously, it's been a, a combination of things that have gone wrong for the Hoosiers. But the one thing I can never, ever, ever accept, I don't know how you feel about it, but you can always control your level of effort. You can, intro- you can control your intensity, how much you try, you know? For that to ever be questioned, to me, is the most damning thing. It should never be a thing. If you are just ice cold from three or you've got a couple of injuries, or, okay, I understand. It's sports. It happens sometimes. But if there's ever a question of, they're not quite quitting, but they are going through the motions, that's just like red flag city. And one, it's a reflection on the head coach. Has to be. If your players are checked out, it's... Listen, I'm a Dolphins fan. I go back, let's go a couple of years ago. Brian Flores, when he was the head coach of the Dolphins, Dolphins started out one and seven. There are teams that might be like one, two, three, Cancun at that stage of the season. And they still played hard. And they won a bunch of games that season down the stretch. Like that's a reflection on the head coach. It's a reflection on Mike Woodson. If anyone can legitimately say, yeah, they're just kind of going through the motions right now. And it's also not solely on the head coach. It's on the players also. If you have any pride whatsoever, no one should ever be able to say that about you. They just seem like they're, eh, you know, not quite quitting, just going through the motions. No, man, totally unacceptable. And I know the record isn't where you want it to be, and it's been a rough season, but that just can't happen. No one can say that and have a leg to stand on of, yeah, this team, they're just kind of just going through the motions. No, no, totally unacceptable. I'm not going to say they've got all-star game Lack of intensity. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. That's a whole other stratosphere right there. But for anybody to be able to rightfully point that out, that is embarrassing. I think that's way worse than the record not being where they want it to be. It's for anybody to be able to say, yeah, just kind of going through the motions right now. Kind of playing out the string. Come on, man. Come on. You got you to gotta bring it more than that. And IU just hasn't. They have you lose to Northwestern, okay. But for it to be like, yeah, that effort, man, that was left a lot to be desired. Totally unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. All right, feel free to hit us up. 317-239-1070. On the way, James, uh, how big of a country fan are you? You big on country? Are you kind of like uh Evan where he put metal somewhere between a one and a two? Is that how you rate country on your scale? I, I would say that's pretty accurate. I do like some bluegrass and stuff like that, but oh. when it comes to mainstream country, I'm really not a fan. A little bluegrass. You go like side B country on me, is oh, what yeah. you're saying. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Um 
I'm going to bring up Toby Keith, who once sang, I ain't as good as I once was, which I really like. I'm going to apply that to the sports world. Uh, we'll do that in just a bit here. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian No in for JMV. 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Yeah, so um, Toby Keith, you know, late country artist, had some uh, outstanding record sales, some hit songs over the years. And I was just thinking about one of his songs, which is, I don't have a great country voice, but I mean, I ain't as good as I once was. You know, you remember that song? I was thinking about that in terms of sporting events and sports, where what sports and what events would you put in the category of I ain't as good as I once was, meaning it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be as good as it once was. And which events or sports would you put under the category of ain't as good as it once was, but there could be a legitimate resurgence, you know? It it might not seem like it, but it could come back to a comparable level. So I was thinking about this with the All-Star Weekend, where the All-Star Game, it's never going to be as good as it once was. Never going to happen. The players just don't care. (laughs) If if you don't have players that care, it's not going to be what it once was. And look, man, they used to go at it. I know it doesn't seem like they ever did, But the All-Star game resembled more of a regular season-like game. You probably have to go back 25, 30 years for that to be the case. But it did happen. And that, like Denzel said in training day, that day is dead, dog. We don't roll like that no more. The All-Star game will never be what it once was. You know what also won't be what it once was? College basketball. College basketball, you had players stick around for three four years on the regular you had guys who would be number one overall picks that would say yeah the pros can wait I'm gonna run it back Ralph Sampson was like yeah I could be number one overall I'm gonna run it back we're coming back to the ACC next year (laughs) that that was common Christian Leitner is one of the most decorated college basketball players of all time. Could have easily gone pro earlier. And he just ran it back and ran it back and ran it back some more. Four years at Duke. That was common. So the depth, the chemistry 
that these teams had being teammates for years, the familiarity you had as a fan of just, ah, there's freaking Leitner again or whatever, whoever you rooted for, whoever you rooted against, it was awesome that you had that familiarity. It's just such a revolving door now where it's like, okay, who plays for this top 10 team now? You're right. It takes a while to get familiar with some of these guys. There's just so much turnover. College hoops will never be what it once was. Now, here's the interesting twist. It can be a lesser product than what it once was, but it can still be a great product. The big dance is still outstanding. I love the NCAA tournament. It's still a great product, but to rival what it once was, it never will happen again, ever. What else is on the list? Uh, While we're talking all-star games, the MLB all-star game will never be what it once was. That was legitimate. We're talking like the 70s here, but that was really important at the time. This is before interleague play. So this is the only time the AL is playing against the NL. It mattered. You would have, remember like Al Pacino in any given Sunday where we crawl with our fingernails for that inch, right? Like You would get pregame speeches like that for the MLB All-Star game. That's never going to happen again. Some people would say baseball in general where it's become a lot more regionalized. It's not the national pastime that it once was. I I would hear that argument. I think the pitch clock has made a a great difference. There have been some good changes recently that have helped the sport. But I think you could put that on the list. Uh, Let me go out to the phones here. I'll get to what could have a resurgence. But if you want to chime in on this, feel free to do so. We've got Terry on the line. Wants to weigh in. What's going on, Terry? You're on the fan. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Hey, um, I went to a couple events this weekend, and I'm I'm with everybody on the fact that it was kind of a, a letdown. However, you got to kind of at some point start turning it forward and think about what what could they do to help this situation out. And a couple guys and I were talking about that, and we came up with a couple solutions. You know, first of all, there's got to be something in their contracts if they do make the uh, the All Star team. But second of all, why don't they do something like, all right, if the East wins then when it gets down to the final, they get home court advantage. Or the West wins, they get home court advantage. Make, put something in it. And, and at this point in the season, you know, those teams don't know whether they're going to make it or not, but a lot of them are probably going to, and they want that home court advantage over the other team. Even though they may have a worse record, if they make it to the finals, hey, I was on the Eastern team that won, and we got home court advantage. We got four games over three. Yeah, I hear you on that, Terry, but the thing I would push back about is I would hate to have an exhibition have that much on the line, and the other part is that could take away from the intensity of the regular season. You know what I mean? So it's like you're you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Which is a better gain for the NBA? Would you put home court advantage in the finals on the line in the All-Star game where, yeah, there's going to be some more intensity there and maybe that makes one game a bit better. But toward the the end of the regular season where you're battling for seeding, for home court, right? Like, that could take away some of the intensity where, let's just say for right now, look at the standings. If you've got Boston, they're clearly winning the East by a lot of games. They've got a comfortable lead. 
Um, if you don't have home court in the finals on the line, they might greatly take their foot off the gas pedal, and they're not worried about the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Oklahoma City Thunder or whoever's got a good record in the West, where if they were to face that team in the finals, they want to have home court. They might shut it down for the last couple of games and just cruise into the playoffs. So I wouldn't want to do that. I just think if they could have made a change, they would have by now, like a realistic change to spruce this thing up. I just don't think there's a whole lot you can do if they don't care. Yeah, they got to do something, though. Yeah, it's just they do. a poor situation. So, okay. No, Thanks. no doubt. Yeah, thanks for checking in, Terry. Good to hear from you, man. Yeah, that's what I think is I hated it with MLB, and I get why they did it with the All-Star game and putting home field and the World Series on the line. I just – I thought it was goofy. I thought it was – I don't know. Trying to make the All-Star game what it once was. I appreciate the effort. I just, I didn't think it made sense. I think that if you play 162 games and you've got a better record than your World Series opponent, you should have home field advantage. Not, oh, we won the All-Star game 4-2 to two. <laughs> with a bunch of dudes who aren't even in this World Series. You know what I mean? Like, it was just weird to me. But listen, I appreciate the thoughts I don't want to just be like, nope, I want to do that. I want to do that. It's hard to come up with a good idea that could significantly spruce up the All-Star game or some of the All-Star weekend events, like the dunk contest. What can you do other than put a million dollars on the line or something like that? And even that, I don't know. You might get a a one- or two-year jolt. But it's like if they're not into it, they're not into it. And I, I I don't know that there is anything you can realistically do because Adam Silver is he's probably sitting there. If you were courtside and could talk to Adam Silver right after he announced Damian Lillard winning MVP and all that stuff, and you could just say, Adam, man, what did you think about the... And he was completely truthful. He would have said, it sucked. The game tonight was freaking brutal. It was an eyesore. And if you said, I mean, what can you realistically do for it not to be the case going forward? He'd probably be like, honestly, there's not much. <laughs> what, what, what am I going to do? We could put a little bit more money on the line. If, if they don't want to compete, and we're talking about all-stars here. Most of these guys are making huge money. If they don't care about whatever, $500,000 or whatever the case may be to win an all-star game, I know it's a big deal for you and me, but these guys are making millions of dollars. They're looking at it like this is an exhibition. I, I don't want to rupture my Achilles or tweak a knee or a hammy for the second half of the season. I'm just trying to make it out here healthy. So I, I don't think there's anything you can do that's going to make a big difference. As far as the Toby Keith, I, I ain't as good as I once was. What isn't as good as it once was, but could make a resurgence? Maybe not to the same level, but in the vicinity. How about boxing? Boxing used to be outstanding. I can remember getting together with friends and just plopping down five bucks to see a Tyson fight or whoever. Those were great, great days. And even before that, the middleweight division where you get some of these guys like 
Hagler and Hearns and Sugar Ray and Duran. It was amazing where it was. And boxing just isn't on that level. Not even close. But could you see a resurgence? I think you could. It takes a transcendent talent that doesn't come around often. But if you were to get an American heavyweight or someone with some charisma, some pizzazz, it was just a draw. Think about Conor McGregor in MMA and how big of a draw he was. No one's arguing that he's the greatest of all time or anything like that, but he was an immense draw. If you could get something comparable in boxing, I think boxing could have a resurgence. I don't think it's going to get to the same level of, man, you think about these heavyweights at the time where it's Tyson and Holyfield and Lennox Lewis and George Foreman and Riddick Bowe and all these dudes. Even Galata made a cameo around that time. It was amazing. I don't think it's going to get to the same level, but could it get to a a comparable level where you're like, man, this is a blast from the past with this fighter or this rivalry? And I think you could see something like that. I'm hoping, and I hope this isn't just wishful thinking, I really do think the dunk contest, maybe for a year, maybe for two years, it could rival something from yesteryear. It would take a couple of true stars, actual star power in that thing, doing some special things, which the stars are more than capable of doing, to have that kind of blast from the past buzz and payoff. I do think it could happen, but to get it back to the level it once was, I don't think that's ever going to happen. The best we can hope for is a one-off, right? like a, a Vince Carter-type showing, or I don't think you're going to get Dominique and Jordan going toe-to-toe again, but just something, even Blake Griffin dunking over a Kia or something like that. Some, some of those guys over the years did some incredible things. I think you could hope realistically for something like that, uh, but I'm not going to hold my breath for it. I, I think I'll put it in the realistic-ish, maybe, (laughs) category of just having one year where you're like, man, that was amazing. That's all I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for one out of the next 20 dunk contests to walk away saying, man, that rivaled yesteryear. Can we get there? I'm hoping we can. I'm not banking on it, though. All right, we got a lot to get to. Coming up around the corner. So at 5 o'clock, top of the hour, Joel Erickson talking some Colts. Coming up next, so I read a bunch of stuff, and I have compiled random nuggets from some of these stories I've read with some really interesting tidbits, okay? Some of it is Colts-related. One thing has to do with a challenge flag of all things. One has to do with something I didn't realize about another AFC team that just blows my mind. And one of these uh, stories has something to do with heavy metal, which I know will keep James interested. And hopefully, what would you put the percentage at, James? At least 25% of the listening audience where they're like, ooh, ooh, metal tidbit? I'll stick around for that, you know? That's what I'm hoping for. That seems like an uh, accurate estimate right there. You know, I would love for it to be around 80%, but, let, you know, let's settle for 25, you know, one out of four. 
is a you know very wise person saying uh you know i i love uh ashes in the wake from lamb of god <laughs> like, so i'll give you the the random nuggets right around the corner while reading is what i call it that's on the way i'm brian though in for jmv it's 93.5 and 107.5 the fan Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Everybody freeze. Everybody down on the ground. Well, which is it, young feller? You want I should freeze or get down on the ground? If I freeze, I can't rightly drop. And if I drop, I'm going to be in motion. You see? Shut up! Okay, then. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian No in for JMV. Here on The Fan. Um, first off, tremendous job by James playing some Slayer! I can't just gloss over that. I mean, goodness. Uh, but we have a suggestion. Uh, James, does... Does the guy want to check in here on the show? No, no, he just wanted to to give us two cents. Okay, it was off air. I gotcha. Yeah, someone checked in and said, hey, how about the players in the All-Star game? They're playing for their specific charity. Uh, They could be raising money. Maybe the winning team wins some money uh, for the charity of their choice. I like that idea. It's sort of like the NFL with the my cause, my cleats type thing. They have the cause on their, their cleats. You could have something similar in the NBA, and maybe that provides a little bit more incentive or there's some pride on the line. And Yeah, I, I like that idea. I think it still comes back to if you're trying just to remain healthy, <laughs> which pretty much everybody on the court last night was trying to do, it's going to keep looking like, what last night looked like over and over again. And I think about Halliburton where if you look at Tyrese, he's had some injury issues. So he's, he's played 43 games of the what? 56 games that the Pacers have played so far. So he's in jeopardy of not getting to that 65 game threshold. And that could cost him a ton of money. There was a comment from Halliburton earlier this season where he's like like this could cost me 40 million bucks not playing 65 games and not being on one of these all nba teams you know like that's huge money so when you think about it from that standpoint if you're to go out there in the all-star game and risk injury you literally are risking millions and millions and millions of dollars if you tweak a hammy or anything and you're not around for real games and you don't get to that 65 game threshold so Long story short, I don't think there's much you can do. You could make subtle adjustments, subtle tweaks, but if the players just simply aren't into it, I, it's like you're at a loss. That's the truth of it. While reading, some random nuggets for you. This is a great one with the Colts. So this is Field Yates of ESPN. He's talking about the Colts need to get another corner. And you think about the stretch during the middle of the season where they faced these starting quarterbacks in a row. Listen to some of these names. P.J. Walker, Derek Carr, Bryce Young, Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, Will Levis, Jake Browning, Mitch Trubisky, Taylor Heineke, and Aiden (laughs) O'Connell. So 
what they faced in the middle of the season. And that's not a who's who list. Baker Mayfield had a good season. You know, it's not like everybody is a Joe Schmo, but that is not star-studded whatsoever. So Field Yates was like, yeah, you're going to need a corner. Going to need to target a corner in the draft there. And you think about the upcoming season. Well, obviously they play their teams in the AFC South twice. So you're thinking C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, maybe Will Levis. Uh, The jury's out on Will, but C.J. Stroud was tremendous in his rookie season. Trevor Lawrence is still a really good quarterback. Some people dispute that, but I think he's incredibly talented. And uh, there are far worse quarterbacks in the NFL. Long story short. Also, the Colts, they pick up the AFC East. So right there, you're thinking Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers comes back. Tua Tungavailoa led certain categories in passing, right? NFC North, so you're thinking, okay, Jordan Love, Jared Goff, is Kirk Cousins back there? Maybe. Could be Caleb Williams with the Bears. And then the third-place schedule, you get a break with this. It's Steelers, Broncos, Giants. But long story short, you're you're facing much better quality quarterbacks. Uh, this season now injuries could play a part but more than likely you're going to face better quarterback play so to field Yates's point yeah you're going to need a corner also something else uh, at least four corners have been drafted in the first round in each of the last four drafts I thought that was kind of interesting so if you're thinking about the Colts and finding a guy uh, take that into account Also, this is a great story on The Athletic. James Boyd, he was writing about Shane Steichen. I didn't realize this. So Steichen talked about playing the Washington Commanders. And Ron Rivera was challenging a play, but he threw the flag too far. The challenge isn't initiated with the flag toss. It's triggered when the flag hits the ground. (laughs) <laughs> which which blew my mind. I never knew that. But there you go. There's a nugget for you. I'll get you the AFC nugget and the metal nugget next hour. Right around the corner, Joel Erickson will talk some Colts with us. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. It's party time! P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for JMV. 93.5-1075, the fan. Please welcome in Joel Erickson, Colts insider for the Indy Star, joining us here on the show. You know, I, I, I'm i torn here, Joel, because Lamb of God in the background, I'm almost thinking, like, don't ask metal questions, don't ask metal questions, and I can't help. Where are you on the metal scale there? Are you a fan or are you a non-fan? Uh, I'm a non-fan. I had a uh, I had a metal phase when I was playing linebacker for Stanley Boyd High School back in the day, but uh, I have <laughs> I have since gotten out of that. Can you remember the go-to bands of that metal phase when you're playing backer back in the day? 
Oh, it's it's all of the stuff that you'd expect from like the late '90s, and it might not quite classify as metal. It was definitely the hard rock genre, like you know, like anything that involved like let the bodies hit the floor or something like that. Yeah. Like that was all in. Uh, um, that was all 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 on that playlist. That's funny, man. That's great. Now I did read on your your X bio. It sounds so weird to say that Twitter slash X bio. You're a Golden Doodle owner. And this yeah. is my curious mind. I, I'm curious what the dog's name is. Any fun facts you could share about the pooch here? Well, the dog's name is Yelly, uh, named in honor of Christian Yelich. Uh, I think most radio, most most fan listeners know, thanks to Kevin Bowen, that I'm, I'm a pretty big Brewers fan. So uh, <laughs> I guess so, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, that, that, was, that was the name negotiated with, uh, negotiated with my son's. They uh, they they weren't they weren't big fans of Jenkins for some reason. Okay, um, which which would have been a reference to Jeff Jenkins from back in the day. But uh, no, that's they, they great. Uh, and what about uh, what about Yelly is uh, unique? Uh, he's 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 a pretty typical golden doodle. I mean, he's he's fifty fifty. I, I I try to keep as much retriever in there as possible. I used to have a golden retriever. That was our first dog. Um, my wife did not like the shedding of the golden retrievers. Ah, um, uh, yeah. So we ended up with the doodle, and I, my compromise was I wanted the fifty-fifty. I didn't want, you know, one of the seventy-five, twenty-fives, or something like that. So, yeah, he's he's a he's a good dog. Um, really, really, really good dog. Re- really, really good dog. Really great with the kids. Um, and uh, it. And he, he's he's tough to get toys for because if he uh, anything anything shy of like he's gonna chew through to get the get the squeaker. So there's a shelf life on toys at our house. <laughs> By the way, one final goofy question. I just have to ask this, and uh, we'll get to the Colts here. I'm just looking at Baseball Reference, and it's got some great Brewers. At the top, right, where like Robin Young and Paul Molitor, on and on and on. And then I kid you not, I get to Christian Yelich. Almost everybody's wearing a Brewers ball cap, except Yelich. He's still in his Marlins gear. What's up with this? Come on, uh, baseball reference got to get their act together. Yeah, that's 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 a mistake at this point. I mean, we're we're <laughs> seven years we're seven years into this thing. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to as as a as a very fond immaculate grid player. Uh, there's there's a lot of guys on there who have some weird hats, but you gotta you gotta at least fix like the like staples of a franchise. Yeah, absolutely, you do. Okay, so looking at the Colts tomorrow, teams can go in on the the franchise or transition tags. How surprised would you be if the Colts didn't place the tag on Michael Pittman Jr.? Uh, I, I would be surprised. Uh, I would be surprised, especially with a player who has said openly that he'd like to see what's out there. Um, it, it's a market where teams are willing to pay a ton of money. Like, you know, going into free agency that you're not, he's not going to look around and, and be disappointed with what he's going to get. That's just not, that's just not the wide receiver position now. Um, they haven't done it since 2013, which is actually the the second longest franchise tag drought in the NFL. Uh, but they, they've generally locked up those guys before they get there. This is the first time that one of them, has gotten there. It, I just think the risk of losing him with with Anthony Richardson there and already 
already a numbers issue and a depth issue at wide receiver is, is too great. I think you have to place the tag on him. What do you think? It's a tough question, man, because uh, it's a bit of a guessing game because I just think about Michael Pittman Jr. He knows his market. He knows his worth with this team and Anthony Richardson coming back. They got to have him. So do you think that they hammer out a long-term extension or do you think he might play this season on the franchise tag? I I keep thinking that what's going to happen is that they're going to eventually sign him to a long-term extension. I, I don't know when that is. I don't know if there's some some franchise tag shenanigans that go on in there, um, which are often, I think, probably portrayed as a little more acrimonious than maybe they actually are. I think a lot of players, especially Pittman, Pittman kind of indicated at the end of the season, he kind of understands how this franchise tag thing works. Um, but I, I still think that ultimately – the, the need is too great. Like, usually usually if a team is going to move on from a player like this, it's in a situation where either you feel um, like you have somebody there ready to, to take over and, and fill the spot, or it's a situation like, you know, with Kansas City and Green Bay letting go of Tyreek Hill and, De- and Devontae Adams. That was, that was because they believed their quarterback was good enough to play with something less than one of the best receivers in the, in the NFL. They could save some money there. They, we don't know that about Anthony Richardson yet. The Colts don't know that about Anthony Richardson yet. And his development is so important. I, I, just, I just can't imagine. It, if, if you let Michael Pittman Jr. hit free agency and potentially walk, you pretty much have to sign T. Higgins, which is a, mm. that's a, that's a risky place to be. Yeah, that's really risky. What do you think – Pittman Jr.'s market would be like if, like, let's just suspend reality for a second, and let's say he is on the open market. What do you think that would he be in high demand on the open market? Yeah, I, I think, I think he'd be the lesson of the of the wide receiver market the last however many years is that um, it's going to be bigger than you'd expect, and the top eight guys I think are making more than twenty three million dollars in average annual value. A lot of those. A lot of guys are also in the 20 – I think there's another five or so in the $20 million a year range. I, I think his asking price probably starts at 23 and I think that you could probably get it um, from somebody. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's a position where the market is skyrocketing, and that it, there's not really any reason for it to go the other way at any point because teams, teams have need of receiver, and if you don't have – if you're not the Chiefs, who may never give Patrick Mahomes a wide receiver ever again, uh, you know, I, I think teams value that position quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, talking to Joel Erickson here from the Indy Star on the fan. How about beyond Pittman Jr.? When you look at this offseason and uh, the combine's right around the corner, uh, no, no pun here. I wasn't going for the cheap joke here, but speaking of corner, right? Like, when you look at quarterbacks, is that – top of the list for you in terms of the wish list or do you go with another position uh i think i think ultimately cornerback is is the one uh the the biggest need um they've got a it's defensive back in general but the safety position is a little bit more is a little bit more uh it's a little bit harder to 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 handicap because they do have two young guys who have some starting experience and if they bring Julian Blackman back, that's three guys for what's essentially two spots of playing time. Cornerback, I think we've seen 
they you, you've got to have a bunch given some of the injury history and they, there's just some there's some injury questions around some of these guys you know Dallas Flowers is coming off of an Achilles tendon typically that injury a player doesn't regain their full they they can play but they don't re- regain their full explosiveness until the year after until two years you know until a year into the recovery um, so the next season would be the next one Juju Brent's had injury issues. Jalen Jones was good, but you know that there there have been a lot of rookies who've had good seasons and then fallen off. You just I just don't think you can count on. Um, I think you need to add more competition there. You'd like to have some experience there. You know, if you're going to bring Gus Bradley back and state as the reason that you didn't give them give him enough help in the secondary, well, you have to address that in the off season. You know, we always talk about with the draft. Do you go best available? Do you address the biggest need? That sort of thing. Do you think that the need the Colts have at corner is great enough where you would prefer that they address that need instead of taking what might be the best player on the board at the time? Would you go in that direction potentially? Uh, no, not in the first round. Well, I mean, it depends on who the best player on the board is at the time, but there's, there's a chance with this draft with so much quarterback and wide receiver and tackle need that, there, that there's a ton of offensive players going off the board in the first 10 picks, pushing defensive players down. And I think if you get, if you have somebody with a really high grade, I think if you have somebody with a really, really high grade, I think you probably, I think you probably make that pick no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, I, I hear kids in the background, Joel, what's going on over here. we got a crisis well, situation. I, I am picking up, I am picking up my son Watley from daycare. <laughs> nice. So who's older? Is it Watley or Yelly? Uh, Yelly is older. Yelly is older. Okay. Yelly is older, yes. Uh, it, does Yelly have some years? Are we talking like a baby face situation who sang the anthem <laughs> before the All-Star game? What are we talking about for Yelly here? Uh, Watley is Watley's one. And... Uh, Yelly, Yelly's two or three now. Three, I think. Coming up on three. Okay. Oh, young buck over there, Yelly. Very yeah. nice. And then I've got, I've got the two. I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old too. But they, they are not at daycare. Obviously, they, they had President's Day off. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, man. Absolutely. Um, one more. We'll get you out of here on this one, Joel. Uh, with the combine coming up, what do you have your eye on most? With obviously the Colts in mind. Well, the combine is when a lot of free agent decisions start to happen and a lot of like conversations start to happen. And I'm curious if we start to hear some movement. I actually don't think that we're going to have a Michael Pittman decision um, before that. Teams tend to wait till closer to the deadline. I'd be surprised if it was like in the next couple days that they do a tag. So that'll probably still be going on. They'll meet with definitely some of these other guys, Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, some of these other guys that they have here, uh, Julian Blackman, they'll meet with those agents. And they have, in the past, re-signed some guys in that window between the combine and the start of free agency. So I'm kind of looking at the combine. I know everyone's going to be focused on the draft prospects. And I think that that's definitely obvious, And if you, especially if you like the draft, you like to figure out which prospects you like the most definitely go ahead and do that. But for me, going into it, I'm thinking about, you know, hey, what, what does this mean for free agency? Can they keep a couple of these guys from hitting the market, either by the franchise tag or just be by re-signing them outright? 
Yeah. All right, Joel. Well, hey, man, thanks for the time. Hope you have a good <laughs> evening. We'll catch you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for having me on. Watley likes to every time. Every time I have to get in, he always makes an appearance on the radio. He must. Be, <laughs> That's awesome. You have a good evening too, Watley. Appreciate that. He's 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 gunning he's gunning for a radio gig sometime in the future. <laughs> Very nice. I'll give some advice. Um, <laughs> what would be my radio advice? Uh, let's see. Um, play to the crowd and uh, blast someone every now and then. You know, for dramatic no, effect. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's the playbook okay. right there. There you go. All okay. right, Joel. Catch you later, bud. Yep, we'll see ya. Very nice. There he is, Joel Erickson, Colts insider for the Indy Star. I'll tell you what. Yelly is a top-shelf dog name. That is an outstanding dog name. Um, the two dogs I've had throughout my years, there was Amigo, Australian Shepherd, nicest dog ever. Loved Migo like crazy. (laughs) I still think about him all the time. And it's been a long time since he's uh, been away and uh, gone. You know, he didn't go on vacation or anything. He's he's gone, fortunately. But uh, and Buddy. So that was the dogs through my years. And he was a miniature um, American Eskimo. So a little white furball. And the funny thing is. Amigo was the nicest dog ever. Buddy was a demon dog. He hated everybody. Everyone. He kind of tolerated our family. And he, it was war <laughs> against everybody else, man. Um, but, yeah, that's what I've worked with. James, I'm curious. What's on your uh, dog portfolio over the years? The names and the, the breeds of these dogs. Uh, in terms of the breeds, I really don't know most of them. I think they're all just kind of mutts. Yeah. Um, but uh, some of the names that I remember specifically, we had Midnight. That was one. He was a, a big old. Yeah, he was a big old black lab, or not lab, but a big old black mutt. Uh, we had Roses. She was a Chow. Uh huh. Um, roses. Yeah. With the three, the three dogs my parents still have right now. Uh, it's Mac, short for Macadamia. Uh, we've got Cliff, uh, and then. <laughs> The best, the best one is the oldest dog they have. His name is Bob. And, Bob. Yeah, and my mom happens to have a brother who is also named Bob. So <laughs> I always get a kick out of dog names, man. I do like Cliff. Cliff is a good dog name, right there. I agree. He's he's a good boy. He's a great he's a great dog. Yeah, that's fun. roses. That's a little bit different. I like that too. Uh, yeah, it's hard to screw up dog names. I feel like it can be done. It can definitely be done, but it's it's hard to do. Uh, one other thing, talking with uh, Joel Erickson, he mentioned in passing Immaculate Grid. I'll tell you what, man. One thing that I absolutely suck at, Immaculate Grid. Now, I only, well, I dabble with basketball, but I mainly do football because that's the sport I love the most. And I follow the NFL closely. And I can do a good job naming the college of most of these current NFL players, I can do that for probably the last 10, 15 years. I can be pretty good at naming the college of mostly starters, you know, and that includes punters and kickers and obscure left guards. And, you know, I can do a pretty good job of that. But when you ask me, hey, who's a guy who played for the Seahawks and the Eagles? I'm just like, uh, wow, I'd have to think about that for maybe three days to maybe come up with someone. <laughs> and I guarantee someone listening right now would be like, that's easy. It's so-and-so. 
And I, my brain, for whatever reason, just does not connect the dots like that. I connect most of these players through their college teams lesser than, you know, um, the pro teams that they played for. It's just, I don't know what it is. If there was an, an immaculate grid that they did for NFL players and you had to sync them up through the colleges they went to, I would fare far better with something like that. But um, the way it actually is, not so good. <laughs> not so good at that. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Um, there are a few things I want to get to. So uh, there's a stat that blows my mind. And it needs to be stated because I did not like Purdue's performance yesterday at all. And it's funny, right? Because IU had a terrible performance also. But the expectations are so much different for both of those teams this season. Where I look at Purdue, they were just named the top overall seed. There's the bracket preview that was released on Saturday. It's the top 16 seeds three weeks before Selection Sunday. So it just gives you a snapshot of where these teams are right now, where they might end up three weeks later. Purdue is a number one overall seed. And so I expect more from them. IU is nowhere near even a tournament berth, let alone the top overall seed. So I don't expect as much from IU. I thoroughly expect that IU brings it. When you hear comments of, they haven't quite quit, but they're going through the motions right now. Unacceptable. Never acceptable. But in terms of wins, losses, overall performance, I expect a lot more from Purdue for obvious reasons. They're right there at the top of the list. They're number one overall seed right now. But the stat that blows me away, this is insane. So on the season in college basketball, top 10 teams, when they're on the road facing unranked opponents, those top 10 teams have a record of 33 and 34. (laughs) They... Top 10 teams have a losing record on the road outright. We're not talking about the point spread or anything. They have a losing record outright against unranked opponents. So you take that into account when you think about number two Purdue losing yesterday at Ohio State. Okay, I'll take that into account. This has been a trend in college basketball, a lot of parity. There are some reasons for that. Some people look at this collectively, not necessarily what happened yesterday for Purdue, but collectively they say, well, the COVID year factors in there. Some of these teams have players that get an extra year. They've been around for a long time. So some of these teams have a little bit more chemistry. Sometimes these teams have players that are just flat out older than younger teams. That does make a difference. But that's been the trend. These top 10 teams have not fared well on the road against unranked opponents. And it happened again yesterday for Purdue. My main beef with Purdue, I just want to see him play faster. There are far too many times where I'm like, gosh, this team is just so slow. Their pace of play is so slow. And at the end of the game, they needed to try to get a steal. They're down by two points late. Try to get a steal. If you don't, foul right away. Extend the game. Ohio State shooting one-and-ones. They took forever to foul two. They just take forever to do anything. I want to see them run more. 
And I know Zach Eady is their guy, but I think you can still get some easy buckets in transition if you just run a little more, put more emphasis on that. But they just, they're content far too often playing half-court offense. I don't like that. They've got some athleticism. I think they can use it instead of just saying, eh, we'll go with Zach Eady. I know he's their best asset. I get that. But I still think, which would you rather have? Would you rather have potentially an easy bucket in transition or just settle for a half-court set and run it through Edie? you got to take the easy bucket every single time if it's there. So just explore it. See if it is there. If not, then run it through Edie. It shouldn't be that complicated. And again, as I stated earlier in the show, Matt Painter has forgotten way more basketball than I will ever know. I don't want this to come across of like, I've got the answers. This bum painter, I don't know what the hell he's thinking. (laughs) I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying sometimes someone who knows way less can see something that someone who knows way more just doesn't see. That can happen. That's happened before in baseball. Tony La Russa, some people have their opinions, but he knew a lot about baseball, sometimes too much, to the point where it was like in an all-star game, Everybody who knows way less is like, you didn't have pool holes hit? <laughs> right? like you didn't have your best guy hit? Why would you not do that? And it was reason number 62 divided by reason number 84, and then we bar graphed it and diagrammed it, and it's just like, dude, you're, it's obvious, right? You're overlooking the obvious. I'm not saying Matt Painter is doing that. I'm just saying... I need to see him run more and try to find easier buckets in transition because they have the ability. They just, they don't do it enough, in my opinion, at least. This was Matt Painter after Purdue lost to Ohio State yesterday. If he was here, the score would have been 73-69 Ohio State. Nothing. He's his assistant. They didn't run anything different. They didn't do anything different. They, they're the same team. It's a player's game. I know we got to organize. I know we got to structure. I know we got to get them to believe. We got to coach the hell out of them. But at the end of the day, it's a player's game. They have good players. Yeah, so he's talking about the head coaches. So Ohio State fired Chris Holtman. They kicked him to the curb. And then the interim coach, Jake Diebler, he was the guy yesterday for Ohio State. And in his coaching debut, he beats a top two team. It's only the second time that's happened in college hoops since the 40s. <laughs> so uh, it's a heck of a debut for Jack Diebler. Uh, this is what he had to say about the game. I love this comment. Check it out. I'm tired right now. I feel like I like coached really probably too hard in a couple instances. But, you know, one of the guys on our staff comes up to me. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. He's like, well, you look a little flushed. I'm like, well, I'm hot. And I've been <laughs> coaching hard, you know, but – I was nervous going into this game. There's, you know, be just full transparency. I was nervous, absolutely. Yeah, man, that's uh, it's intense. He looked like he was going to tip over a couple of times during the game, but uh, had the sweaty palms, the shaky hands going in a timeout <laughs> in that game. But he got a win. It's a huge win for him, and who knows what that leads to for Jake Diebler, but. My main takeaway with Purdue, and I don't want to make it sound like the heavens are falling. They've had a, a really special season. I think they're going to be a really, really tough outcome tournament time. I think they're going to be focused on the heels of losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. You know, I, I just, 
I think they need to play a little faster at times. I don't need to see that all the time, just constantly, but we got to crank it up sometimes. I think they just play too slow, and uh, I think they could benefit from running a bit more. I do. By the way, what do you guys think about the bracket preview in general? I don't know if this is weird of me. I don't like it at all. I don't like that you've got this committee that comes out and a la college football, right? They give you a snapshot of what the top four seeds might look like. They give you the top 16 uh, teams and where they would be seeded. And it gives you a glimpse of where it might be three weeks from yesterday, right? And uh, this is according to the NCAA, 83% of the teams included since the bracket preview began in 2017, they've remained among the top four seeds. So this is pretty accurate. You're talking 83% of these teams don't drop below, at worst, a four seed, right? So it's like, okay, it's close to what it's going to look like. I would rather just be in the dark. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I would rather be in the dark, and when Selection Sunday rolls around, I would just rather be surprised, like, whoa, they're a three seed, or they gave that team a four. I wouldn't – I don't prefer – having an indication of this is what it might end up being. I, that's kind of weird for me because there are other things in sports where I want to know as much as I can know. If it's boxing, if it's MMA, I can't believe we still don't have a scoreboard. How do we not have access to the judges' scorecards in real time? Is that not a thing? How do we not know going into the the final round, like, this is a draw right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't believe we still don't have that. Uh, I want to know as much as I can know about a fight and where it stands going into the later rounds. But when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I don't want any preview polls. I don't want any bracket previews. I don't want any of that. I just want to be surprised at the very end. I think it's more special that way. I guess this is maybe to generate some conversation like college football does where they unveil the playoff teams as it stands, winding down in the season, but it just doesn't have the same payoff in college hoops. There are far more games. I don't think you pay close attention to it, so it doesn't have much pizzazz, and it also it lets some of the surprise get away from you. I, I don't think it's good. I, I don't prefer it. I'm not a big fan. All right, right around the, co- right around the corner. One coach said multiple things that raised many eyebrows. And I'm curious what your reaction would be if a local coach said the same thing about his team. We'll dive into that right around the corner. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Excuse me, Robo. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
I'm Brian, though, in for JMV here on The Fan. So, wow. Rick Patino, head coach at St. John's. It was Rick Patino uncensored yesterday after the game. St. John's lost to Seton Hall. And afterward, Rick Patino went in great depth blasting his team. Now, I'm going to play you some random sound bites. Now, my takeaway, if I bring this back to the teams you care about, right? I'm not imagining that St. John's basketball is just a hotbed in Indianapolis, you know? (laughs) It's like, Red Storm, baby, let's go. I know that. But I'm just thinking about the IU Hoosiers, okay? It's been a rough season. Mike Woodson, he's coached in the NBA before, just like Rick Pitino. He's coached some very talented teams, talented individuals. If Mike Woodson said the things that Rick Pitino said that you're about to hear, what would be your reaction as an IU fan? There would be a lot of people upset about this and I think rightfully so so Rick Pitino he just got everything off of his chest every annoyance everything that these players haven't been doing right everything that's gotten under his skin and he just went uh, he went in on his own team so here's uh, a portion of the first cut Rick Pitino talking about his St. John's basketball team we are so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling it's been that way the year but we came out in the second half and we knew they would come after us but you have to move the ball and we just took four minutes of rush shots okay so non-athletic poor shot selection check check let's get more from patino i think they're unathletic i don't think they move well laterally i don't think they're gonna pick it up in the next week uh, I think they're slow laterally. I mean, Sean Conway gives you everything he can. He's slow laterally. About five guys are slow laterally. <laughs> okay, so not only that poor guy that he named, but five other guys just slow laterally. Okay, we just can't really slide our feet. It's not what we do. All right, check that uh, right there. We got more from Patino. Even, even the Celtics when we lost. I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. <laughs> Just that, oh, the, the end portion of that. This has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. Since I've been coaching, this is the most unenjoyable experience I've ever had. These freaking guys, they're sucking the joy out of this. This is what he's talking about. There's more. Do you have any second thoughts of taking this job? No, not at all. It's not St. John's. It's my team. (laughs) All right. Don't blame St. John's. Rich history. It's just these bums I'm currently coaching. That's what's going on here. He's not done. There's a little bit more from Patino. I think they're very respectful. They hear, but they don't listen. It's taken me a month to get them to throw bounce passes. Actually, two months to throw bounce passes. Okay. They don't listen. Two months. You just want a simple bounce pass. 
That, that's all I'm asking for. Last one from uh, Patino blasting his team. I was thinking of getting ready for Georgetown because Georgetown could definitely beat us. I'm not even thinking of the future at all. I'm just thinking of the next game and the next game and the next game, and that's it. Fin- uh, just try to get as many wins as you possibly can and represent St. John's in the best fashion you can. That, to me, is sticking the landing. After blasting his team, saying that these guys don't listen to me, I'm saying, hey, hey, bounce pass. They're not listening. They've taken all of the joy out of this. This is the most unenjoyable season of my basketball coaching career. They can't move laterally after all of this. He says, let's just go out there and represent St. John's in the best way possible. And represent St. John's in the best fashion you can. So he just puts his team on blast and then says, you know what? Let's let's worry about representing this university the best way possible. Here is what we're we're looking for. Oh, my Lord. That was. That was something right there. Everybody listening can relate. You've probably had a moment in your life where you got frustrated to the point where you voiced your frustrations, maybe in great detail. And in the moment, it might have felt awesome. And then after the moment, it might have felt not so awesome. And you look and you say, that really didn't help anything. And that's what you just heard. (laughs) That was just ranting about frustrations. And what he said does not help the situation whatsoever. What do you think the next practice is going to be like? You'll hear some of these players go back to the Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey was yelling at Andy Reid on the sideline. And after the Super Bowl, he went in great detail saying, the way Andy Reid handled that, it just made me want to win that much more for the guy. There are probably better examples of players detailing how much they love their coach and want to give it their all and win for their coach. I can't imagine the St. John's Red Storm (laughs) feels that way about Rick Pitino right now. It was like, yeah, these bums, this is an unenjoyable season, the, the worst of my coaching career. They can't move laterally. They don't listen. Georgetown. And their 1-13 Big East record, they might beat us. I mean, they could clearly beat us. Goodness. I don't think they're ready to run through a wall for old Rick Pitino right there. So if you bring this to a local level, what would be your reaction if Mike Woodson went in on the IU Hoosiers the same way? Right? Very similar records. Disappointing seasons. Like, close your eyes. Everything that Rick Pitino just said, imagine Mike Woodson saying that about his current IU Hoosiers team. I think there would be a lot of brushback. A lot. And I would understand it in terms of the frustration. I would never understand why you would handle it that way. Because this is the thing. This is one of the golden rules in life. You have to ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish? Okay, and it is very easy to lose sight of that. I've made that mistake many times in my life, as most people have. We're human beings. We're emotional. 
sometimes we lose sight of what we're trying to accomplish and we're just ranting about something and we're actually hustling backwards. We're working against ourselves, you know, and that's exactly what Rick Pitino just did. He lost sight of what he's trying to accomplish. He didn't help his current situation at all. They're not going to be willing to play harder. He didn't inspire them whatsoever. I don't know how this helps him going forward. If you're a recruit, are you like, hey, I want to play for Rick Pitino and maybe he can call out my lateral lack of quickness, my lack of lateral quickness, the next press conference. You know what I mean? It just doesn't help. He lost sight of what he's trying to accomplish. And I think if Mike Woodson did the same thing, I would say the same. It'd be the same reaction from me. And uh, I just wouldn't understand it. I think, look, man, we've all fallen into that trap. I'm, uh, you know, I live in a glass house throwing stones on this one. But I've never been a coach of, like, multiple people, <laughs> right? When you're a coach, your judgment matters so much more. It's one thing if it's, Whatever dynamic we're talking about, it's you and your partner and how you deal with things. It's you and the the people that you work with, and you might not manage them. You just might be coworkers and how you navigate through situations. But when you're a coach and you've got assistant coaches, you've got players, you've got administrative levels and an AD and all this stuff that is tied to you. Your decision-making and how you handle things matters way more than other occupations and other dynamics in life. So your judgment and how you handle things matters way more. And if you handle something that poorly and just rant about something in a press conference because you're frustrated, it's like, bro, that was that was so poorly done. And look, I get that there's something called tough love. I get that. And there have been coaches that have called players out before, that have handled it in different ways, and it's worked. This is not that. This is just being frustrated to a fault. This isn't some, you know what, I've tried everything, I'm going to try this different tactic. Okay? It's a little unconventional. Just I'm going to rip them <laughs> to shreds and say it's the most unenjoyable experience. These bums, ah, it's the worst. I'm going to try that. And this is some coaching tactic. That's not what it was. He's just frustrated. And he handled it poorly. When all those people are tied to you making sound decisions, that makes that lapse in judgment way worse. That's the reality here. And I would love if this were an IU topic and Mike Woodson said the same things. We would talk about this for freaking weeks. Are you kidding me? Um, but it's a Patino thing, and so we talk about it for a few minutes. But it's not just about players bringing the right effort and executing and all of those things. It's also head coaches doing the same, and that was a clear lack of execution on Rick Patino's part. Make no mistake about it. All right, right around the corner. I've got to pay off a couple of things for you. I've got some fun stories Uh, James has not placed a bet in his life. I've got a story that might inspire him to do so. (laughs) I've got that, and uh, I've got to pay off uh, the AFC Nuggets 
and the metal nugget while reading reading random stories. So you might enjoy that as well. I'm Brian No in for JMV. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No in for JMV. Here on The Fan. Hopefully it'll be back tomorrow. It was good hanging with you today, but little under the weather. I think he might have IU-itis. That's my official diagnosis. I think IU just stinking over the weekend. It just gave him indigestion or I don't know what. A little heartburn mixed with the flu. Something going on over there. I'm going to say it was IU-itis. He's probably going to be raring to go tomorrow. But it was good hanging with you today, nevertheless. A couple of random nuggets while reading. I read all this random stuff, and sometimes... I, I, I read something, I'm like, that's really interesting. There's really no place to talk about it, but that's really interesting. But I've noticed over the years, if I just kind of like squish stuff together, you might learn some things and get an interesting little nugget here and there. So there's some value. This is sports stuff. Some of it's non-sports stuff, but there's something about another AFC team, right? We talked a lot of Colts today, but... This blew my mind. Heading into last season, right, the 2023 season, I didn't realize this. The Cleveland Browns finished 15 consecutive seasons with a negative point differential. It's a streak that dated back to 2008. They went 15 straight seasons giving up more points than they scored for the season. That's insane. That tied Tampa for the longest streak of its kind in NFL history. The Tampa streak was between 1982 and 96. (laughs) They had a negative point differential for that long. The Browns, they were on the plus side this past season. They were plus 34 in point differential in the 23 season. And think about all those starting quarterbacks that they had and Joe Flacco coming off the couch. And it's pretty remarkable to lose all that talent. Nick Chubb and... The list goes on and on to still have a positive point differential after 15 straight years of a negative one. Crazy. Now, I was also reading about Yaramir Yager. So he got his jersey retired by the Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday. It was a really cool ceremony. And uh, you would love this, James. We're both metal fans. Uh, Yager, he was big into Kit Kats and metal bands. I didn't realize that about Yaramir Yager. I enjoyed watching the guy play. I've got even more respect for him now. He's a metalhead and loves Kit Kat. How about that? Did it, uh, I, did it say what bands he was into? No, I wish they went into great detail. And I might have been able to dig around and find something. I didn't even think about it, but I don't know for sure. Do you ever feel like that? If someone says, oh, yeah, I love metal, I'm like, I hope so, but I don't know if... The way you categorize metal is the way I categorize metal. There's nothing worse than someone say, oh, I love metal. Yeah, like, you know, Poison, uh, Motley Crue, and you're immediately like, you know, not metal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, get where, I get where you're coming from. Like, I, I appreciate Poison and Motley Crue, but I would categorize them more as like hard rock than anything. Yeah, yeah. and I love the crew, but that's that's a hard rock band. You're right. It's not a metal band. But yeah, Yaramir Yager. I might have something for you the next time I fill in. I've got some homework to find out what metal bands Yager was into 
or still into. How about this, too? I've got a couple of fun ones for you. So there's a player for the Los Angeles Angels, Nolan Shawnawell. And so he got called up to the bigs last year, and he played 29 games. And he noticed that his legs were just getting tired. And especially in the later innings when you're playing game after game, day after day, he just got tired. And so he decided for his part of his workout regimen this offseason, he was going to spend two days standing the entire day. That's what he did. Now, he would sit down to eat a meal. But otherwise, from the time he woke up to the time he went to bed, he's on his feet standing the whole time. He would walk to the gym No driving was allowed. (laughs) And some of his quotes are amazing. He said the first time he was losing his mind, it got to around 1 p.m. And he had lost his mind. He made it. But he also said at 5 p.m., that's when he would feel mentally drained, physically drained. That's when he had to fight the most demons. He said from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. Or whenever he was going to bed, uh, he said it was just the hardest time. Man, what do you think about that? I, I, I strangely want to try this. When I was doing local radio in Portland, Ennis Cantor was a player at the time, and uh, he would always fast for Ramadan. And I was like, I've never done that. So I was like, I'm going to try it. And I fasted for the whole day. And I'll try some of these things from time to time. I would like to try this, the Nolan Shawnawell thing, where you just wake up and you're on your feet all freaking day. You know? But I've had a couple of knee surgeries, James. My right knee, I'll tell you what, when I'm just standing and standing and standing, it starts to swell and swell and swell and ache and ache and ache. I think I'm going to sit this one out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm going to find out firsthand what this is like. I'm just going to assume it sucks, you know? But hey, props to him. If this works for him, great. Uh, Last thing. James, how many bets have you made in your lifetime, would you say? I have made probably a grand total of zero. Zero bets in your entire lifetime. Yep. Okay. Um, This might inspire you, maybe, to bet. I don't know. Remember former Cowboys receiver Des Bryant, right? Des caught it, the whole thing. He hit a monster parlay on Saturday night. He cashed in for over $400,000. A lot of college basketball. I love this. Des Bryant, he had Pepperdine over Portland on his <laughs> on his bet sheet. He also had Nevada money line against UNLV. Had to have a big comeback. That was the last leg of the parlay. Before it cashed, he posted, cash out for what? He's like, I'm not cashing out right now. I'm seeing this through. I got confidence, like Rolando Blackman in the 1987 All-Star Game. Confidence, baby. Confidence. That was Des Bryant, and it hit. Would this inspire you, James, to maybe get on get in on betting after Des Bryant hits for a, a $400,000 parlay? I might have to look into it. That's it. I, I could be down to win $400,000. Right? Yeah. You know, just a $5 bet. Just make the odds astronomical. Maybe you hit the lottery. Hey, a lot of fun. Everybody enjoy your evening, and we'll catch you soon.